Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 65, presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and I have chicken parmesan coursing through my veins right now. Literally, I had it for lunch. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller, and he's super excited that the National Hockey League now has 32 teams. That's why he's wearing that hat. Frank, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, we got a pretty good show today. I'm really excited to share it with everybody. Absolutely. The Stanley Cup final just ended with the Colorado Avalanche defeating the Tampa Bay Lightning in five games. And you were able to see the entire series on the great network of ESPN. And it was the first year in a long time that the National Hockey League was back on ESPN. And there is nobody better, nobody more dedicated, nobody more important to the hockey scene right now than John Bucci-Gross. And we would like to welcome him in. John, how you doing? Peace, boys. Great to be with you, Vinny, Frank. Absolutely. Very nice to meet you. Very nice to have you on. And, of course, I'm going to lead off right away with a very important question. How did year one of hockey at ESPN back at ESPN go for you? It was great, you know, to be able to do a lot of play-by-play, which is what I want to do more and more of. Um, You know, that was a huge thrill to travel around the country into different rinks. Uh, you know, first and foremost, that's what gives me the most energy. That's what makes me feel most alive to meet great new people. John Tortorella, Ryan Callahan. I knew Kevin weeks before, but to get to know him better, Mark Messier, Chris Chelios, it was a really good family atmosphere. When you do sports center, it's kind of like a giant Walmart. You work with different people all the time. The hockey department's kind of like a mom and pop shop, coffee shop that you like to be a part of and where everybody knows your name kind of a thing. So it was really, really a cool family atmosphere, you know, to, to host the point, to do some intermissions. And like I said, mainly to do the play by play, which I hope I can do more and more of. It was a dream come true. So year one of seven. Hope I'm here for all seven of them. And uh, it was a great start. Yeah, you know, um, it was watching you cover the Stanley cup playoffs and seeing you as a panelist and in the booth and doing what you do best. You know, we were on vacation actually for the first part of the Stanley cup playoffs. So we got to watch a little bit while we were on vacation. And some of the big news that came out while we were out on vacation was that Bruce Cassidy was let go in Boston. How do you think the Bruins are going to fare without him? And do you think they're going to be better without him? Do you think it's going to help Vegas a little bit more or what did you think of that news? Yeah, that was uh, a, little, a, little, a little surprising. You know, this was his best year as a coach in terms of wins. Um, lost game seven of the Stanley Cup final at home, uh, but they came out great that game. Jordan Bennington made all the key saves early. The Bruins are certainly ready to play as a team. So that would have been a huge feather, obviously, in his cap. But, um, you know, there were some stories about him being real hard on young guys. And if they're going to go younger, um, I guess that's the decision they made. But certainly uh, Vegas is a good spot for him. He's very demanding, very blunt. And so obviously after a disappointing season for the Golden Knights, they really can't complain about someone being firm or, or very demanding. So it could be a very good fit. We'll have to wait and see. But, you know, the Bruins are certainly aging, uh, a team that's 
you know, going to have to really make really good decisions, get lucky in the draft, sign the right free agent, make the proper trade to keep this thing going. They still have a good young core. You know, if Swayman proves to be the real deal, Charlie McAvoy is one of the top five, top 10 defensemen in the NHL. David Pasternak is still in his mid twenties. Uh, but from there, obviously Bergeron's aging, Marchand's getting up there. So to try to supplant them with new young guys, you need guys, a lot of guys in your 20s to win Stanley Cups. It's a young, fast league. Saw it with the Avalanche, all those guys in their 20s, a couple guys around 30. So it's going to be an interesting year for Boston. They're in that weird transition phase. Either they'll continue to go down uh, or they can make the right move and stabilize themselves and, um, and maybe stay where they are and then maybe make another move up if they get really lucky with good decisions. And speaking of winning the Stanley Cup, the Colorado Avalanche, they were a complete wagon all year long. They were one of the best teams in the Western Conference. And then, of course, they were a buzzsaw in the playoffs. And I don't attribute that to anything more than the play of Kale McCarr. You're the leading college hockey guy, hashtag college hockey. I have a hat. We all have the hat. It's great stuff. What do you make of what he's become and how great is that for the college hockey community? Yeah, certainly the fact that not only you know that he went to college, but he stayed that extra year. Um, Owen Power did that this year. That's certainly, you know, never a bad decision to wait and be patient and go back to college another year or three years. So you saw it his uh, sophomore year at UMass. You could see how he was a step ahead of everybody else, helped bring them certainly to the national championship game where they lost to Minnesota Duluth. Uh, it wasn't just him. They had Mario Ferraro, who's playing for the Sharks now, and Bobby Trevino, who was younger, he'll get his shot in the Rangers organization. So it was a good team, good coach. It wasn't a one-man team at all, uh, but certainly he separated them just like Colorado's not a one-man team. You know, they don't do this without McKinnon and Landeskog and Rantanen, who are all stars in the NHL. Um, but obviously, when you have someone like McCarr, it just gives it a little extra push. I'm not going to win the Stanley Cup every year with him. As great as Bobby Orr was, the Bruins just won two Stanley Cups with him. It's hard. Everything's got to kind of go your way. Um, if he wins two or three Cups, that's a massive career. We sometimes think these guys are so good um, that they should win 10, but it's hard. Uh, but certainly he's a great separator to have, especially at that young age. You know, you want to have a good young team so you can have a good five, six-year run. And, and, and they're in position to do that because their best players are, are of those age where they're going to have a, another good five, six years. So it's a, it's a good start, which should be multiple cups in Colorado. I'm sure. I mean, it's so weird. You're so happy to get that one, get that first one and to get one, but then it's almost going to be a disappointment if they don't get another one, they're really set up for multiple cups. And, uh, you know, a lot of their success could be thanked to Bednar. They were at rock bottom five years ago. And he turned this franchise around. I want to get your opinion on a, another um, coaching change that happened recently. I'm a big Chicago guy, big Blackhawks fans. Could see my banners back there hanging out from the playoffs. <laughs> um, Luke Richardson, new head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. How do you feel about him? Can they turn this franchise around now with this man? Yeah, he's a he's a really a high character, demanding guy. You know, played a lot of games in the NHL. Um, just a real hard hockey guy. It's just, but you know, they've, they're kind of been very public. This is a five year rebuild. That's a long time, half a decade. I don't know if they're just, you know, giving themselves some rope when they say something like that. Um, but if you still have Patrick Kane on the team and to bring it, I know they're talking about trading him to get the most value now and to try to accelerate the rebuild. And there certainly could be merit in that. That could be the right move. It might not be, but it could be. Uh, so, 
it's an interesting time. You know, will, you know, will Patrick Kane not want to be part of this? And do you trade him this summer to get a lot for him? And while he still has value as with one year left and then his extension would likely be not quite as much as he makes now, uh, or will they, and he say, no, I really want to finish. I want to be a one franchise guy. I want to have the statue out front. I want to be a part of this. I've made a lot of money. I'll give you a number that works for you during this rebuild. Maybe this rebuild isn't ultra, ultra painful, but I'm sure when, when you hear rebuild, you want to get low single digit overall draft picks and you want to pick one through three next year's draft is, really loaded with some high, high top-end people. Is this the year to tank? Is that what their plan is secretly to tank next year and have a chance at one, two? Um, you know, so will they? I'm sure it's an interesting time. It's fun when you're a GM to start from scratch because then you only go up when you're hired. So uh, it's a weird time in Chicago. I don't know if Luke Richardson will be the guy who's going to survive the entire rebuild. And But you, know, you can't turn down that job. You can't turn down an opportunity. You can't turn down that salary. So uh, that's why you take the gig and figure that out later. And if you do enough positive things, then you'll get another chance uh, the the next time around. The Blackhawks had a lot of success with guys being drafted in the top three or four, obviously, Taves, Kane. Um, We talked about that with the Lightning. Of course, Steven Stamkos was the first overall pick. Victor Hedman, I believe, was third. Stamkos had what? You've phrased in the past, and I kind of stole it from you over the years, a statue game. I kind of think you had a statue game in game seven against the New York Rangers there and then getting them into the Stanley Cup final. We saw the injury report yesterday. That Lightning team is magnificent. I would like your take on Stamkos' legacy and then that Lightning team as a whole. John Cooper called them the most unforgettable Lightning team of them all, even more than the teams that did win. Right, yeah. No, I I mean, he's obviously a Hall of Famer. Steven Stamkos, he's really elevated himself, had, had a career year this year, assists and points at his age, plays on a very good team. And that, that always helps you. You know, having Patrice Bergeron kind of threw himself into the Hall of Fame once Brad Marchand and David Pasternak came along. He really had some big offensive numbers, might have made it anyway, but certainly that really solidified him as a Hall of Famer because he just, when you get two guys in their 20s like Marchand and Pasternak, that's, that's great. And he was great for them as well. Uh, so Stamkos, same thing. When you play with a Kucherov and you're healthy enough to play a center and you can have that one-timer when Kucherov is feeding you through the seam or Hedman's feeding you from the point. So, yeah, obviously Hedman, number two pick behind John Tavares way back when. Um, and then obviously Kucherov was one of those late round, late draft steals that sometimes happens and certainly the Lightning have been very good at. So Braden Point still young. Sorelli's still young. Vasilevsky's still young. So Stamkos, you know, that's a good team. You know, when you're that age, it's good to be a part of a team like that because you don't have to carry all the water anymore, but you can still accumulate statistics, get into the playoffs. You know, the, the Bolts could have one more cup in them with this core. Again, they're still, they're not, they're guys in their early 30s. You know, they need, they were, they're going to have to pay Sergachev after next year. He's going to be a $7 million guy. Chernak's going to be a $5 million guy after next year. Uh, that's that, you know, that can be a problem. You know, McDonough's got a big contract. I don't know if he's buyout potential. Uh, he's the only guy in that, you know, mid 30, getting to the upper 30 range. So they can always replenish the fourth line. They may try to squeeze more one more year out of Maroon and Perry and Belmar. Um, but they'll have to keep you know replenishing there with character and, and speed. And so it, it, it'll be fun to watch. I'm sure as a manager, a general manager, the, you know, these decisions are difficult, but they're kind of fun too. What is the right move? What do you do? When do you trade? Who don't you resign? They can't sign everybody. Like I said, Sergachev is going to be a high salary guy and Chernak's going to jump up. So they're going to have to make these decisions. And at some point, some of these decisions may include 
whether it's trading Stamkos or trading Kucherov. I actually think they should look into Kucherov, just see what's out there, just because he makes so much money. But I think they know how important he is that with Vasilevsky's age, still in his late 20s, you know, they could have still another three to five year window, uh, maybe three, um, unless they got, again, real lucky with first, second, third round picks that turn out to be Braden Point or Nikita Kucherov. Uh, so it, it, it's Tampa still in a good spot in the East. They're fun to watch for sure. Uh, making it to the Stanley Cup final three years in a row. Definitely exciting to watch, especially if you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan. Um, Bucci, you mentioned that Stamkos, Hall of Famer, should be, obviously. Um, Vaskalevsky could probably be a Hall of Famer too, honestly. He Kucherov, is. Headman. So He's you got – yeah, those, right. four guys, those four guys are all in. Those Come are the on. four that, are, that should be in, that are in, obviously. Everybody knows that. Um, and speaking of that, Class of 2022 Hall of Fame was released. You had the Sedin brothers, Daniel Alfredson, Roberto Luongo, guys that I watched growing up, Vinny watched growing up, and now we get to see part of our childhood get inducted in this Hall of Fame class, along with a couple of other guys too. Um, but then you look at guys who are not in the Hall of Fame, right? And you got a guy like Keith Kachuk, highest scoring left winger and American winger, not in the Hockey Hall of Fame, 538 goals. Is there anybody that you think deserves to be in that's not in there right now? Yeah, Kachuk has the most goals of anyone eligible who's not in. Obviously, Yager, I guess since he still plays in the Czech Republic, he can't put him in. But they really should put him in now. You know, get people in there as young as possible. Looking forward to that speech. Uh, somehow they can, you know, wave. He's not going to play in the NHL again. Just, you know, figure it out. You know, let, let's put Yags in now. But, yeah, Kachuk has the most of anybody eligible uh, in the Hall of Fame. Jeremy Roenick, I think, is a Hall of Famer. You know, back when I broke into the business in the early 90s, all the kids I interviewed, 17, 18, 19-year-olds, that's the guy they wanted to be. He was skilled. He was tough. He was brash. He could play a, a physical game. You know, he, he wasn't able to accumulate stats into his mid-30s because of the way he played as a younger guy. Um, really good playoff performer. Um, was in the playoffs 17 of 20 seasons. Always produced good numbers. Some guys don't produce in the playoffs. Um, so those are certainly two Americans I think deserve to be in for sure. Uh, but Sedins, they were definitely artists. You know, they have, you know, when you win a scoring title and MVP, that, you know, and that's what Ronick and Kachuk didn't do, you know. And and those guys were just really artists the way they played. At first it was like, really, those two guys didn't have much playoff success. Um, weren't really, you know, their stats kind of suffered a little bit in the playoffs. But, again, we look at that career, and it, it's tough to deny Art Ross's and, and, and MVPs. And, and so – it's good, and it's good that you keep that generation. But I also think at some point, and you never know how this goes, but I think it's going to be harder and harder for Kachuk and Roenick because we have so many teams. You mentioned the Seattle hat and all the teams we have in the league. There's so many players now who retire every year. It's going to, it's going to be harder. That's why I think we should, we should actually have conference MVPs and Norris trophies and Rookie of the Years. There's too many teams to give one out. You know, baseball does it, but, of course, baseball did it because there was no interleague play. That's why you had an AL MVP. NL MVP, but I think accidentally it's turned out to be the right thing. They have interleague play now, and they still do that. So I really do think that uh, the NHL should adopt that, that you have a Norris Trophy in each conference. Guys are going to play long careers. Like someone like Charlie McAvoy is going to be a clear-cut Hall of Famer. He'll get his number retired in Boston. He might not win a Norris Trophy because of, you know, Fox and Heaven. And, you know, you just have to time it out perfectly where you have an amazing year and your team is good and someone else. They don't play the same schedule. They don't play in the same conference. They don't play the same division. Yet it's the same award. So I really think it's time for two awards. 
kind of reminds me of Drew Doughty late in his career. He finally snuck in that one year, even though yeah. he consistently was probably the best defenseman besides maybe Duncan Keith over the, like that course of time. But you right. brought up Art Ross trophies and MVPs and stuff like that. Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid. One had the 60-goal year, pumping out goals. Basically, it seemed like every other night. McDavid is just unbelievable with his wheels and all the magnificent points and using the speed. If you could build a franchise from scratch, John Bucigras gets to have the number one overall pick of any player in the league. Who are you taking? Is it one yes. of those maniacs? Yeah, it really is. I know, I know McCarr has gotten a lot of uh, attention to be that guy and the guy who will be in the MVP discussion in the next two, three, four years because a defenseman can really control a game in a lot of ways especially if he can run a power play up top. Um, the way he breaks down defenses, it really is or-like in a lot of ways. Um, and so he certainly is going to be in that discussion with those top three, and, and certainly, obviously, Vasilevsky. Uh, why GMs don't take more goalies in the first round, I have no idea. Uh, but it, for some reason, they're afraid, and they, they I guess they feel like they can always win with an average guy, which you can, you know, whether it's Chris Osgood or, or whoever, you can win if your team's not good enough. But that's a, such a tough call between Matthews and McDavid. I really do think McDavid makes teammates, at least statistically, so a uh, better the way he, his impact statistically no one shoots a puck like austin matthews he'll be the ovechkin the next he'll score the most goals this decade um you know he's kind of taking the mantle from ovechkin as the best goal scorer in the league scoring goals is the most important stat in hockey you can't win a game unless you score a goal um you can only tie it if you don't give up one so you know because his propensity to score goals and coming into his own as a face-off guy defensive guy um, his reach does a lot of things. I think Matthews, you know, he may just nudge out McDavid if people had to take a guy tomorrow. If everybody became a free agent and they had a draft in the league, uh, I think Matthews would be the first pick. Wow. You know, the Toronto Maple Leafs on this show, there, there's a lot of arguing going back and forth between the Maple Leafs, between me, you, Vin, and your brother, Joey. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just, I've never been high up on them. I mean, this year they have probably had the best team that we've seen in our lifetime, um, and they just can't get past the first round. I, I'm just – it's it's almost to a point like, are they ever going to win, no matter how team this, how good this team is? Um, how do they get over that hump? Because I don't see it happening. I always hear people saying, oh, they're coming back. Next year's the year. This year's the year. But they can't get past the first round. Hmm. What do they have to do to get over that hump? Because I'm well, not the, hearing anything. Yeah, the format doesn't – the format doesn't help them to have to play Tampa in the first round this year after that great regular season they had to have to deal with the Bruins when the Bruins are really at the apex. Again, we're talking Marshan, Pasternak, Bergeron, Rask. Um, it's just a really good team. Um, they've definitely reached the point where now they're an upper echelon NHL team that they kind of arrived this year, but certainly they have average goaltending, average defense, and that's going to be hard to, you know, like we mentioned, Hedman's a Hall of Famer, and McAvoy's probably going to be a Hall of Famer, and the Panthers kind of busted on the scene this year with Barkoff, who's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, Ekblad, who's a real high-end defenseman. Um, these teams are balanced, a little more balanced than the Maple Leafs. They never should have signed John Tavares. That was a monumental mistake to give him that much money. Uh, William Nylander might not be a playoff guy, uh, you know, if he's your main guy. Could be, a, you know, maybe a – an extra guy. Is Mitch Marner ever going to be a playoff guy? Is he going to be a regular season guy? These are real hard questions. And, 
you know, they may have to reach a point where they have to make a difficult big trade, like involving Marner or Nylander or certainly Tavares. I mean, they would love to get rid of that contract because they obviously they're going to attract a free agent. And then don't forget, Matthews is coming up. He might not even be there. He might want to go play in L.A., um, which I would love for the league for Austin Matthews to end up in Southern California. Um, I think it would be awesome. But uh, so, yeah, they are in a precarious position with, you know, with the Panthers kind of coming up. The Bruins are going down. The Lightning are still where they are. Um, so it, it's a, you know, the Rangers are coming up. Devils are coming up. So you, you have to t- We talk about winning awards. You have to time it out, man, when your team is ready before this team's washed, before this team leaps in front of us. I mean, suddenly the Rangers are standing there with Sesterkin. They could be the best team in the conference for five to seven years now, you know, and suddenly the Maple Leafs are there. Who's going to play goalie for us next year? You know, you have one. So it, it, they're in a weird, tough spot. Bucci brought up the Devils before me. So here we go. <laughs> when you think of the best players in the NHL, of course, it's McKinnon, Matthews, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Vasilevsky, Makar. Can Jack Hughes get himself into that level? And if he does, how far can he take New Jersey? Because they got some really nice pieces. I loved Jesper Bratz here. Nico Heischer, he's not as good as Kale McCarr. If they could go back, they would take him. But I think Heischer probably would go second or third. He's a really, really good player. What do you think of that? Yeah, I'm a big Jack Hughes guy. I think he's right there with Patrick Kane in a lot of ways. You know, they moved Kane to wing. Um, you wonder if Hughes is best served on the wing. And he's a little guy playing in the middle can obviously cause injuries when you're playing against some guys and you're along the wall, down below in the wall, deep in the corner, helping out your defenseman. Um, but you, hopefully he's just more of an age thing. He'll get stronger slowly. Came in the league too young. I thought he should have went to college for a year at Michigan like his brothers and, uh, and and work out there and get a little stronger, maybe even two years. It's never it's never wrong to – like I hope Luke goes back again this year. He could play in the NHL for sure this year. I think but I hope, Yeah, I hope he goes back one more year to Michigan. He, he told us in the Frozen Four that was his plan, but things can change. Um, he can he can sign and become a millionaire tomorrow whenever he wants. So, but I hope he goes back too, and then and then shows up in March uh, to the Devils. So, yeah, I'm 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 I've been bullish on Jack Hughes from the start. He's special. He can shoot. He can pass. He's got great competitiveness. Um, he's great vision. Everything you want. So yeah, and it's and it's all about the rest of the guys. And his brother's going to be a high end player as well. He could run a power play tomorrow if he had to. And so, yeah, he sure was probably a mistake. He's going to be an okay player, never a great player. But if Mercer can come along as a third-line guy, they're, they're pretty strong up the middle. And then it's just a matter of getting bigger on the wing and getting the right defenseman. And the draft's a big one coming up here. I'm sure they have plenty of options. They could probably trade for a ready-made guy if they want to help a team who has a cap issue. Or they could take, you know, take the big Slovak, which I think they should do, and plug him right next to Hughes. Uh, so they have options, and uh, the Devils are definitely a team on the rise. I mean, they, they just find a goalie this year, they're going to be better right away. And then it, be everyone being a year older and then adding a free agent, adding a, a young single-digit draft pick who can play right away, um, yeah, they're, they're definitely coming. They're up and coming. They're going to be in the playoffs sooner rather than later. Yep. Um, and speaking of the playoffs, um, some of my favorite – things of the playoffs is not only the whole thing as a whole, but it's the Bucci overtime challenge. Where did you get that idea from? 
just, you know, we used to do it way back in the day when we had NHL tonight, back in the late nineties, early two thousands, just something to do. Our show would start after the playoff game. Overtime was over. We'd throw a dollar on the set, pick a couple guys, one guy in each team, me, Melrose and Ferraro. And then if your guy scored, you took the other two bucks, put it in your pocket and started the show. So I was just on Twitter one night, I think it was 2010 or 11. I was like, Oh yeah, remember we did that. Maybe I'll just throw it out there. Hey, pick one guy, each team. Hashtag Gucci Overtime Challenge, kind of a clunky name, literal name. I'm sure if I had a focus group, I'd come up with something different. But I think people kind of liked it. it was this kind of organic and fun and was, you know, just kind of a kind of like a club, not just an NHL the NHL branded thing. It was just as for hockey fans. Anybody could play. It just kind of heightened the experience. It was free. And then I would just retweeted people because, you know, back in the day, retweet had currency. People were looking for retweets when Twitter first started. And I said, maybe I'll make some T-shirts and then I'll I'll give out T-shirts and I'll also sell them. and We'll give the money to charity. And uh, I never thought it would blow up into a full-fledged website with hats and all kinds of other things. And I added the college hockey brand, too. And, you know, we've given away about a quarter of a million dollars. I probably sold a million dollars worth of merchandise the last 10 11 years and uh you know after buying the stuff and postage and everything and supplies and giving it away um so it, it was really cool i didn't think it would still be going on now actually i'm trying to think of maybe launching an app with it and and make it even maybe even play play for 99 cents and give out some cash prizes and raise even more money and so yeah, it, it, it's a fun little thing that I never thought would last this long. And when ESPN didn't have hockey, it was a nice bridge for me. Social media was a great bridge from 2004 to this year to kind of stay in the conversation. And in fact, younger players like Matthews and Caulfield, when they see me at the rink, they see me as the Bucci Overtime Challenge Twitter guy more than TV guy. And that was probably more effective for me to bond with those guys. You know, they look at me in a different... If I had just been on TV all that time with no social media, I'd still be a guy. But I think they because of the intimacy of social media and how the fun and the original programming that it's just like my own production and direction, I think it gave me a better relationship with those players who are now in their early twenties, mid twenties, you know, right around the age of my, my two sons are either the age of my current son or younger than my older son. They're, they're right in that sweet spot. So I call them all my third sons, all, all the, all the NHL players in their twenties. I refer to them as my third son. Awesome. I love that. So, you, at the top of the show, you brought up that the favorite part of the season for you so far in terms of work was calling games. That's where you get your most energy and whatnot. Yeah. Have you thought in recent years about potentially taking a job as a full-time NHL announcer? I know there's a team in New Jersey looking for a guy. <laughs> right yeah, that, that's, that's something that's always a possibility because you, know, you can still do ESPN games while you do that. You know, Mike Emmerich for a long time did both. And then as he got as he got older, it was too much, and says, "Yeah, I'll, I'll just do the national," uh, which was good. But but if that came up and and I could do a team and also still do ESPN games, um, you know, if I had to leave ESPN completely and everything it offers, that would make it really hard. But if certainly if I if I could do something like Mike Emmerich and Sam Rose and all those years for the Rangers did CBS football and and did other things, if a team some teams have flexibility in that regard, other teams don't. Other teams won't let announcers do 10, miss 10 games to do national games. Uh, but if they could fit it between my schedule, especially being in the Northeast, it's easy to get to other teams and get back and forth. Um, I would definitely uh, look into that for sure. You know, out of all the buildings you've been at, because, you know, hockey is a very electric atmosphere. Yep. I think it's one of the, for me, it's the greatest sport that exists in the world. I think they have the greatest fans in the world for any sport. 
and just going to all these different arenas or the fortress in Vegas is somewhere I always want to go and experience. And you have all these legendary stadiums. What has been your favorite? Where is your favorite place to travel to? What stadium do you love the most and why? Is it just the fans or just the experience or like why? Hmm. That's a tough one. I didn't hit them all this year, but um, I really enjoyed Toronto in the playoffs. I thought it had a bigger buzz in Calgary. I know Calgary was kind of given the nod uh, through a lot of people in the media, but I really felt Toronto was a pretty cool scene, great setting, great rink. Um, really enjoyed that. You know, uh, you know, Boston's really cool. Philadelphia wasn't good this year, so it's kind of hard to judge that that rink. But normally they're they're right up there. So I enjoyed my game with the Devils. Had a great Nashville uh, Devils game this year. Madison Square Garden is a great venue. And so just doing the playoffs game this year, playoffs are a whole other animal. I did two in Toronto and two in Calgary. So it's tough to judge anything um, in the regular season. But, uh, yeah, doing games in college, which I really enjoy as well, the Frozen Four. We had a great one in Boston this year. And still doing that and doing the NHL. Uh, it, it's just so cool to go to all these rinks and to experience them. But for the most part, like even Carolina is a great rink, you know, it's even though they're not an original six, there's always a great atmosphere there, and I always enjoyed that. So it's really about the teams, how good they are, and what day of the week helps. Fridays and Saturdays always have a little bit more juice during the hockey season uh, than the midweek games do. So, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of factors go into having that electric feel, to quote MGMT. Yeah, absolutely. Before Zach Parisi came along, my favorite player in the league was Pavel Datsuk. And earlier this season, you compared Trevor Zegers on Twitter to Datsuk. I'm assuming it's because of the hands and the ability to steal pucks and just be an absolute thief savage out there. Can you expand on what you saw from him this season and how long before I get to see the Ducks in the playoffs again? Yeah, yeah, that was my idea. The game that, you know, I did that first Duck Sabre game and I gave the producer an idea. Let's compare him to Datsuk, you know. Datsuk had a slow start to his career. He wasn't Datsuk until his late 20s. You know, Zegers much younger. But same kind of style, obviously a little more showmanship than maybe Datsuk, but Datsuk still had some amazing, he was out of a quiet showman, the amazing stuff he did with his hands. And I just think Zegers over time, when he hits his mid to late 20s, he's got to start being a better defensive player, steal the puck from opponents, using his hands for defense and offense. And then that's the night that he scored that goal. You know, he had a little alley-oop to Sonny Milano. So uh, it worked out well that we had that in the pregame, kind of built him up pretty hot lofty status and then he came through <clears throat> sorry came through with a really all-time goal yeah um Bucci, we're getting to the end of june july's right around the corner everybody knows june is pride month you're part of the you can play project i'm familiar with it i know what the project's about but for those who aren't familiar with it explain why this project and campaign <coughs> is so amazing for the sport of hockey well, it just happened when I wrote the article on Brennan Burke, uh, Pat, uh, Ryan Burke's son, his brother Patrick still works in the NHL. And uh, his brother just wanted to come out in a national way. And uh, I thought it was an interesting story, just the contrast from the public persona of his dad, and which I think really give the story a lot of uh, conflict and potential conflict and theatrical, um, you know, made it really interesting. And so I wrote that column. And then, of course, he tragically died uh, two and a half months later and i wrote another piece on that the funeral of awake and then that's when patrick decided to launch you can play just to kind of 
kind of forecasted, you know, the impact his brother probably would have had. He was a, he was a really an amazing kid, had a real magic about him, um, meeting him, and he would have done amazing things uh, throughout his life. And uh, so I, obviously his brother knew that, being his brother and being around him. And so I think this was his way to kind of, well, next best thing to Brendan doing this is, is him doing it, getting NHL players aboard, which they were right away. Um, the, the NHL player at that time, you know, very, very empathetic and sympathetic and inclusive right off the bat. No questions asked. And um, one of many good things about this game. And so it was, yeah, Patrick asked me to be a part of it. And, uh, of course, I had no problem being a part of it. And, uh, yeah, it just it's just amazing to think about, you know, that, that's coming up on, he's 12, 13 years ago. And I'll still get emails from people. I'll still get comments from people about that and what it meant to them. And uh, really, I'd say I, I wrote an e I wrote a column on ESPN.com for about 16 years, wrote a lot of words, and um, you know, there's five or ten that really stand out, uh, and that's certainly one of them. Very good stuff, Booty. We have a cousin that plays college hockey at um, the University of Iowa, the women's team, and she's very good. Nice. You know, she can play forward, she can play defenseman. So we wanted to give a shout out to her in front of you, and if you have a message to any young girls aspiring to play hockey, you know, at a very high level. Yeah, I mean, not, I tweeted today, Stonehill, which is a small college, uh, D2 school outside of Boston. Um, they're launching a program this fall. And certainly, you know, hockey continues to grow. As it's slowly, you know, this space is a lot of competition nowadays. There are some uh, cost issues that, yep, obviously, it's, it's always going to be there. But certainly one area of the game where hockey can grow is certainly the women's game. And uh, it is, their, their skill continues to improve. Uh, it gets better and better. And so certainly uh, there's all kinds of avenues. There's club hockey. There's more D1 programs uh, coming along. Obviously, we're in the early stages of professional hockey. And that can take a while. There can be bumps along the road there trying to figure out what the best plan is and trying to get people to come together, which isn't always easy. Everyone has their own vision of what they think it should be. And so we've seen some roadblocks there. But it's early. Things take time. Um professional baseball wasn't really professional baseball for 25 30 years it takes time and even then it continues to grow so uh, it continues to grow throughout the 20th century so yeah almost every level things are, are getting better that's why again to go to the seattle hat anytime we add an nhl team it make nothing makes nhl fans or even hockey fans like nhl teams youth participation goes up beer league participation grows up uh everything you know everything hockey hockey fans are born when NHL teams are launched. So uh, that's certainly a way to do it. And obviously hope the college game is another way to do it. And that's why we can grow the games in other areas. We not, don't rely on having NHL expansion teams to grow fans. That always, costs, that always causes a nice little burst. But we need to be able to do that in other ways. And college is certainly a great way to do that. Awesome. That's incredible. Absolutely. Frank, do you have anything left for Bucci before we let him get out of here? Yeah, I got to ask because I just, I got to know, what do you prefer, OT hockey or chicken parm? <laughs> There's nothing like OT hockey, man. It's the best television. <laughs> it's the best reality to television, commercial free. Every I, I always say every shot's a buzzer beater. That's what's great. Imagine going to watching an NBA overtime and they had 20 buzzer beaters and that ball's in the air. That's what we get with every shot in hockey. It's that ball in the air. Basketball, you only get it once. You know, once an overtime period, football, a field goal, once. Um, you know, it, it's that's that's the great part of overtime hockey. Now, extra innings, home team up, then every pitch, 
you do have a chance. That's why playoff baseball is so awesome. When that home team comes up in, in extra innings or the ninth inning, same thing. Every pitch, the game could end. Hockey, every shot, the game could end. So there's nothing like it. So I would say by a nose or by a beak, I'll take <laughs> overtime over the chicken parm. Fair uh, enough. You've been to Chicago a couple times in your life. Where's the best place in town? If you have one off the top of your head, not trying to put you on the spot, but where's the best place to get some parm around here? Yeah, I haven't been there enough. I, I keep forgetting the place that I when I, I tweeted in September. Uh, when I went, we had our ESPN meetings there. We Everyone got together because it's kind of centrally located. So all over the country, the ESPN people kind of came up for a boot camp for three days. And I went to a nice place down the street there for my hotel. And I, I it's on Twitter. So if you t- tweet, if you search Bucciagrass Chicken Palm Chicago, it comes up. But it was great. Sat at the bar, had a great piece of parm and penne, a little glass of wine. It was perfect. So I'm sure Chicago has 20 of them. And hopefully, I did call one Blackhawk game. It was the day after Thanksgiving. So I'm hoping to do a couple more games this next season. I'll, I'll start to I, I should start some sort of chicken parm chronicles as I travel the country now and, and try to figure this out. And I do have T-shirts now through Sauce Hockey. I got some chicken parm T-shirts that the, that they helped launch with me. It's on their website. But uh, I need to figure out a way to do that even more next year. That's outstanding. There's this place by Guaranteed Rate Field where the White Sox play called Rico Bene, and they have a breaded steak sandwich, and it's very similar to chicken parm with the cheese and the red sauce, but it's steak instead. I think you would really like that. Maybe not as good as the parm in your brain, but... I'm a you know, big steak guy. I'm yeah, steak I think guy, you would so. really like it. really like it. So is there anything you want to promote before we let you go? What you're doing, what you got coming up over the summer with the draft, free agency, ESPN, at Bucciagrass on Twitter? Yeah, we're doing the first round of the draft on the 7th. Uh, I'll be in studio in, in uh, Connecticut. Emily Kaplan will be in Montreal. I think it's Boucher and Weeks and, and somebody else. And then the following week, we do have a free agent show, which I'm excited about. Um, I, again, I think that's Boucher and Weeks again. Might be one more. But so, yeah, we get, we, so we've got a couple more hockey shows before we put it on ice until opening night next October. And um, so, yeah, so we have uh, a trade, uh, like I said, the first round of the draft. And then we have the following week, a free agent show which will be fun always love talking about hockey so i think espn gave people a lot of opportunities to see hockey shows on linear tv this year the point that we had once a week and then five days a week during the playoffs uh then it goes over to plus espn plus just a a great source unrivaled is on there now and all the games go there and so i think it's a good value and just kind of you know we had some kinks with audio this year that we're trying to fix and and hopefully we're, we're bigger and better next year but yeah a couple shows coming up and then uh we rest up for next season Absolutely. We can't thank you so much enough for coming on. Thank you so much. If you get a text about Johnny Goudreau signing with the Devils and you want to let me know ahead of time, go ahead. I'll be waiting for it. But John, we can't thank you enough. Devils are flyers. I'm sure he wants to come. He's just got married. You know, his wife's from there. Going to have a baby soon. Big family. So I think I think they want Johnny back east. So let's hope he ends up with the with the Devils or the Flyers. Yeah, hopefully. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, boys. We're going to go. Thank you very much. Following Bucci, we're going to take you to a quick commercial break. Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo join these White Sox fanatics every Monday night for the South Burbs Hitmen. You're going to be treated to great guests, top analysis, smart debates. South Burbs Hitmen with Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo only on the Barroom Network. What was the motivation to get into scouting? I guess I've been analytical, mm-hmm. and that 
area, like even when I was like a, a kid. That's Forte's first touchdown, and he autographed it. That's the Pro Bowl players one year. All those are our picks. So that's Briggs, Nate Masher, Tommy Harris. Two things, the bigger ones on top. Mm-hmm. Those were gifts from Parcells when we went to the Super Bowls that he gave all the scouts. It's the 85 Bears. The Bears gave us that. That Ted Phillips gave us. It's opening night at the new Soldier Field. That's Devin's touchdown on the Super Bowl. Devin autographed that. But this is our, our first draft class. Welcome to period two of Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 65. Frank, what did you think of Mr. John Bucigross? That was awesome. Um, just getting to talk to him. Somebody we watch a lot and follow a lot. It was just, it was a lot of fun. It's everything I expected and more. He's a great guy. Easy to talk to. Conversation just flows with him. I'm really excited and happy that we had him on our show. I could have had him on and just brought up a nugget from all 32 teams and talked about each one for 10 minutes. Absolutely. I mean, he kept pointing out the Seattle hat. He liked the hat. Yeah, I mean... You get a team in Seattle, a non-traditional hockey market, but a great sports town. And, you know, you take note of those things. And when talking about, like, expanding the game and growing the game, of course, it's going to be a nice conversation piece. So credit to you for deciding to throw that on. Yeah, and, you know, I love also what he said about the Bucci Overtime Challenge. I'm glad I asked him about that, that it just started out with just dollars with his buddies. That's something we would do with our friend group. Say, let's throw a couple bucks in the pot. We're going to each choose something. I think we actually might have done that before, like a long time ago. It just rings a bell. Um, If he made, like, an app for it, though, where he gave away, like, prizes and stuff, I think it would be so cool. Kind of sounded like he had ideas in his head that he wanted to spew out there maybe one day. But yeah, awesome stuff, really. I, I love all the content and questions that we asked him. Absolutely. You know, it, it did kind of sound like when he was saying it, the eyeball emoji kind of like came to uh-huh. mind. Like, oh, this this might be coming. You know, eyeball, eyeball emoji, wink, wink. Like, I would love to have an app one day. And I was hoping right there he would be like, you know, yeah, I'm taking the devil's job. That way, like, break that news on the show. But, you know, that'd be sick. So it seems like everybody, including Caitlin, inter- agreed that the interview was just so much fun and enjoyed it a lot. So thank everyone for listening. And thank you to John for coming on our show. That was incredible. I mean, that is literally a dream come true for me. I remember playing Bucci Overtime Challenge, a very different version of it than what it is today. You had a way better chance to win you know, back when I was in high school and stuff, our buddy Dylan, who we bring up on the show a lot, he's the only person I know to have won the Bucci Overtime Challenge. I thought you won it. I never won it. I've guessed correctly. I thought you won it. I, I was telling people that you won it. No, I I bought a Thin Mints shirt. I bought a college hockey hat. And one time I sent him a message on Twitter saying this was long before fan-sided or – barroom network this was a long time ago i sent him a message on twitter via just at him because i didn't have access to his dms like i do now and i was like hey do you have any of those leftover bottle openers that look like the end of a hockey stick 
And he said, yeah, I'll throw one in your order. What's your number? And I gave him the number and it came with the order with an autograph. So that, that's that's where that story comes from. But Dylan actually won the Bucci overtime challenge. I went over in the playoffs this year. I was going to tell him that, but then I didn't want to seem like a loser. I went over. I didn't get the single one correctly to even have a chance to win the Bucci overtime challenge this year. So I, I was wrong every single time. There were the stars hardly scored. And I Kadri had one. Uh, like, did McDavid have an overtime winner? I don't think he did. Did like a Stamkos or a Kucherov? I don't. I think it was a bunch of depth guys. I whenever I play, I always try to choose somebody that's not like a top end player because everybody's going to choose McDavid. So if he's chosen, your chances of winning are slim. So I remember, I forgot what game it was. It could have been Game One of the um, the Stanley Cup Final with the avalanche and lightning, or it could have been game four, I think went to overtime. It might've been, I think it was game four actually, because I remember the guy, I didn't win or I didn't choose correctly, but I'm pretty sure it was game four. I chose Nikushkin just Mm -hmm. because I feel like, I mean, he was probably not going to score, but if he does not a ton of people are going to have him. Um, And then I think Kadri scored it. Yeah, he did. It was the one that didn't look like a goal at first. Yeah, and I should have thought, like, it's his first game back. He's probably going to score it. You know, stuff like that just happens. It's poetry. Yeah, it is poetry. Sports are poetry. Hockey is love. And as we've mentioned earlier in the show, the Colorado Avalanche are the Stanley Cup champions. They defeated the Tampa Bay Lightning in six games. It was an intense series, man. It went a little farther than it looked like it was going to after the first couple games. Tampa made it close. And we'll get to Tampa in a minute with their injuries. But, man, what a wild ride for the Colorado Avalanche. It was extremely entertaining. I loved every second of this series. And when that clock struck zero, I got a feeling that I haven't gotten in a very long time since the Hawks won the Cup. It wasn't the exact feeling of when your hometown team or your favorite team wins the Stanley Cup because there's no feeling out there that replicates. Yeah, but when the Tampa Bay Lightning won in 2020 or 2021, I I didn't get that feeling. When the Penguins won it, all their years. When the Kings won, well, when the Kings won it, I got that feeling. But when the Penguins won it, the Blues won it, the Capitals, I didn't get that feeling that I got when the Colorado Avalanche won it. I was so happy for this team. They were at rock bottom, like I said to Bucci five years ago. They were last place in the NHL, and they turned it all around in a matter of five years. And now look where they're they're at. I'm so happy for this team. Well-deserving. Everybody on that team is so talented, and they're going to be back. This isn't the end of the Colorado Avalanche. No, not at all. I think this is the first time in a long time where the Stanley Cup champion had nothing but early playoff disappointment leading up to the Cup, right? So like the Lightning in 2021, they were the defending Stanley Cup champions, so they literally won it the year before. No one was extra happy. They, you're happy for guys even if they win it a second time because that's the beauty of sport. But then in 2020 when they won it in the bubble, it was like, okay, well, they were in the Stanley Cup final. They've been making deep playoff runs for a long time. It was more like a, it's about damn time they won the Cup. Mm-hmm. And then when the Capitals won, I think I felt similarly to how the Avalanche when they won the Cup this year. Like the, seeing the Capitals win the Stanley Cup was – a lot of that. When the Blues won the Cup, same thing. It was a lot of early playoff disappointment. Uh, but like the Penguins, okay, they wanted a bunch. Like Crosby's got three with Malkin and Latang in that era. And, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray splitting the time 
Um, the Hawks won it three times over a span of six years. 2010 had that like first time feeling, even though they were in the conference finals the year before. Like this Avalanche team were just like kind of perennial chokers, losing in the second round to the Blues or losing in the second round to Vegas. Like they finally got it done, and you know I'm just so happy for them. I listened to Bucci as I went to sleep last night. I listened to Bucci's interview with Spit and Chicklets back in 2017. And he was talking about, he jokingly said that the Bruins should give Claude Julian, their coach, to the Avalanche for Landeskog. <laughs> and they should fire Bednar and Sackick probably is going to make it past the calendar year. And look at where we are now. They are the Stanley Cup champions. You know, so. and I'm kind of happy that they didn't win the President's Trophy. Mm-hmm. I think there was less pressure on them. When you yeah. don't win the President's Trophy, it's like, all right. And they were at one point shy. And like you don't have that pressure of being the best team, number one team in the league. I think it actually benefited them in the long run. Absolutely. And of course, every team that wins the Stanley Cup in the last, you know, 50 years or so, they all have that one forward that you can point to where it's like that guy led us offensively. And of course, with Colorado, it's Nathan McKinnon. They took him with the first overall pick in the 2013 NHL draft. Nathan McKinnon's the number one pick in my draft. If I were to be a sick hockey player and make it to the NHL, and I would like McKinnon's my draft year. And um, it's just so great to see what he's become. And he kind of like got his Hall of Fame case started now. He's got the points. He, he came close to winning the MVP to or the Taylor Hall year, but you know, he came up just short in that. But now he's a Stanley Cup champion. He's got all these points in the regular season. He was probably their second best player in the playoffs. And I'm very happy for the Nate dog. Yeah, you know, things weren't always pretty for him either. He was drafted in 2013, came into the organization, and at that time it wasn't a winning organization. He needed to turn this franchise around, and it it took time, just like all things do. But I couldn't have been happier for McKinnon. He's one of a few players that are, you know, it's just you got you got that soft spot for him. I took him in fantasy um, this past year. Um, I just – I've always respected him, and – he impacted every game this postseason, even if he wasn't scoring. Whether it was scoring, whether it was with his speed, the way he plays on the ice impacted each game more than people think. It's just not all about the scoring. You can do other things on the ice that contribute to how your team plays and how they win and whatnot. And he did that in every game. Yeah. And the Nate dog gives me hope for like the Devils because. I think for a long time there, we had expectations. McDavid came into the league and he was sick, right? He got hurt in his first year, but he had like 40 points and 40-something games played. Matthews scored 40 in his rookie year. And then Heashier comes along at, you know, the following year, and he only gets 50 points. And 50 points is a lot for an 18-year-old. It's like a whole lot for an 18-year-old. But it wasn't the pace for 100 like McDavid or 40 goals like Matthews. McKinnon was like that. McKinnon, 50, 50. I think he had a 35-point season mixed in there. The year they were really, really bad. And then just the one year, 99 points. Now he's consistently getting, you know, any anything above 95 is like average for him. If he had an 80-point season, he'd be disappointed. You know, it'd be a down year for McKinnon. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just so happy to see what he's become. It gives me hope for guys like Jack Hughes and Nico Escher, like these number one overall picks that it takes time. Not everybody's this generational talent like 
McDavid or Matthews. That's why you got to appreciate those guys just a little bit more than you think too. But, you know, another player that is on the Colorado Avalanche that I have tremendous respect for is the one who was handed the Stanley Cup first. And, of course, that is Gabriel Landeskog, the captain. When he was named the captain of the Colorado Avalanche, he was the youngest captain in the history of the National Hockey League. All these years later, he's a Stanley Cup champion. They thought about letting him go after his contract was up after last year. What a monumental mistake that would have been. But, you know, just an absolute superstar. Another guy who it kind of took a long time to see him get to this point. But Gabriel Landeskog's a Stanley Cup champion captain. There aren't many of those in the history of the world. What's your take on number 92? You know, I, I feel like he's gotten a lot of, I don't know the word for it, not necessarily hate, but he hasn't gotten enough credit. since Underrated? He's yeah, he's been a little underrated, under the radar. Um Nobody really talks highly of him, but I, I think he's a fantastic captain, honestly. He didn't have a strong Stanley Cup final, um, but it really didn't matter. He didn't need to. He had a great playoffs, 11 goals, 11 assists through the 20 games that the Avalanche played. And that's what you like to see from your captain, not only being a leadership in the, in the locker room, but also leading out there on the ice. And I know if the Blackhawks were in the playoffs, I'd want Jonathan Taves to be doing more things on the ice as well. It's a key contributor, and especially in the back of his mind, he knows that he doesn't have a lot. He knows he's underrated and what people are saying about him. So I'm, I'm glad that that didn't really affect him at all, and and he was just able to, to finally lift the cup and be the first one to touch it, and it, that's got to be a great feeling for him. Absolutely. And the winner of the Conn Smythe Trophy as the most valuable player in the playoffs was Kale McCarr. He became the first player in National Hockey League history to win the Norris Trophy, the Conn Smythe Trophy, the Stanley Cup, and the Hobie Baker all in one career. He's got all of this stuff, and he's not even 20 – or he is 23 years old. If, if He's either not 23 yet or 23 on the dot, something to do with 23. I'm not a math guy. He's an incredible player. I believe Nicholas Lidstrom – and is it Bobby Orr, the only two players to ever win the Conn Smythe Trophy and the Norris Trophy in the same season? This is just a magnificent player. He's legitimately Connor McDavid on defense, and I think he's a top five player in the league right now. Like you can't just only pick forwards for top five players in the league. Maybe maybe six, depending on what you value. But like I would put him in the top five. He's just so magnificent, and I'd like your take on Mister McCaw. Well, Norris, Stanley Cup final winner, Conn Smythe, Hobie Baker. I mean, the list goes on. I actually wrote an article about him specifically, just him on NHL 23, and how I think he's just going to have this massive boost. And, there, I mean, he might even be the cover athlete of NHL 23 just because of the performance that we saw for him. I don't know for sure, but I think EA is brewing something. So if he's if he ends up being the cover athlete, you heard it here first. Has the Nate Dog? Uh, I don't. I don't think, think so. he has. So they yeah. haven't had an Avalanche, but I feel like they tried to spread I, it I, up besides Matthews. I also but. wrote another article that I think that the cover athlete is going to come out of the Stanley Cup final, whether it's okay. somebody on the Lightning, somebody on the Avalanche. I mentioned McKinnon, but going back to McCarr, I just think his game has elevated so much. In NHL 23, he was the sixth best, best defenseman. I think he could be number one. He'd have to pass up some guys like Hedman and all that, but I think he's well capable. And you look at all the jewelry and gold he's won this year, on top of 
29 points for a defenseman. His speed is so quick. Like you said, he's a McDavid on defense. I saw what he did to the Hawks in overtime when the Avalanche beat the Hawks in overtime. He just went through zip, 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 right through the defense, top shelf. It was just absolutely incredible. This kid is so good, and he is another guy that I'm so happy that he got to win the Stanley Cup. And he's so young, too. For a long time, I was thinking the Americans were catching up to the Canadians, and they are in terms of what will be the Olympic squad. And the Canadians are going to have McDavid, uh, freaking McKinnon, you know, all these this high-end talent, Braden Point, Steven Stamkos. Um, I know I'm forgetting people, obviously. The Americans will have Goudreau and the Hughes brothers and the Kachucks and Matthews and Eichel, and it's going to be the sick team too. I don't know if the Americans have Makar. And I know he played at college hockey in the United States, but he's going to play for Team Canada and not Team USA. That might be like the difference in a gold medal game between Team USA and Team Canada is having Kale McCarr. And it, it kind of sucks as like an American, especially since he's a product of college hockey, which is like a, a t- total American thing. But, you know, credit to Kale McCarr, fourth overall pick in the 2017 NHL draft, went that extra year to college, as Bucci mentioned, and – Wow, what a career it's been for him so far. He talked about the big four on Tampa Bay being locks for the Hall of Fame. McCarr's not a lock for the Hall of Fame yet. It's hard to say anyone under 25 is a lock for the Hall of Fame. Like if he retired tomorrow, he would not make it. But if he keeps this up and he becomes 30 years old and all of a sudden he has that Conn Smythe, that Stanley Cup, I'm not going to guarantee they'll win it again. Anybody who guarantees Stanley Cups needs to really evaluate that because it's very hard to win multiple Cups. But, you know, let's say he has another Norris trophy on his mantle and a couple more 90-plus point seasons. Like, he he's going to be a Hall of Famer if he stays healthy. So credit to Kill McCarr for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's a great player, fun to watch, and he ain't going nowhere. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with in this National Hockey League for many years to come. Do you have anything else on the Colorado Avalanche Stanley Cup championship team? You know, I, I think there there's a whole bunch. Like you're just talking about, like players or what? And um, whatever you got, you know, Valerie Nachuskin was a big part of, you know, was- what Colorado was able to do. Kadri stepping up big. He missed a bunch of time between the Blues series and or hurting his finger, and then the Stanley Cup final scoring the OT GWG in his first game back, making impacts all playoffs long. Great defense from guys like Devin Taves. And Gerard got hurt early in the middle of the playoffs, but he was a very important part of their team. Eric and Jack Johnson are Stanley Cup champions. Like after all this time, it feels like 2010 was 100 years ago, but they were both on that great Team USA team that won the silver. Like this Colorado Avalanche team, man. I think that all teams need a guy like Nikushkin on their their team. Remember, not a lot of people know that he had a slow start to his career. He had a lot of groin uh, injuries. Hip injuries. Uh, he had a hip surgery in November of 2014, um, and and he really just ever since then really turned his career around. And I think he he scored some key goals in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is what every team needs. You need that guy that's not a McKinnon, a McCarr, a Rantanen. You need that X factor to help bring you success. And you look at all the teams in the past who've won the Stanley Cup, and they've all had that piece. They've all had those guys that perform better. Um, in the higher pressure situations. Lekkinen, I've been a big Lekkinen guy. Um, he, he was another key piece. Kadri, game four OT winner. 
lot of hate surrounding him and a lot of nonsense that I'm glad never got to his head. You know, he always, I mean, people are just idiots the way they treat him. Um, you look at Devin Taves, he played a ton of key minutes, reminded me of how many minutes Keith used to play in the Hawks Stanley Cup run. Um, and, and even Darcy Kemper. Kemper didn't get a lot of credit, not even from us. We said that the Colorado Avalanche's biggest weakness in the Stanley Cup fi final is the goaltending. Tampa has the clear goaltending edge over the Colorado Avalanche. But Kemper stepped up to the plate when it mattered most. He won some gutsy, close games against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, I mean, just those are the games that matter most. And I think Kemper needs a little bit more credit. I couldn't agree with you more. I wanted to touch on Darren Helm. Blackhawks fans know Helm well. He scored a big goal. He eliminated the Hawks in 09 and in the conference final OT. The Hawks went packing after a kind of a surprise playoff run there. And then he won the Stanley Cup with Detroit in 08, you know. And he went 14 years, and here we are, 14 years later. He's a Stanley Cup champion again with the Colorado Avalanche after landing with them after all those years with Detroit. Very happy for him in that perspective. It kind of reminds me of Brad Richards. Brad Richards won the Stanley Cup in 04 with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Then he bounced around a little bit, had a long time with the New York Rangers, a couple stints here and there. Ends up with the Chicago Blackhawks winning the Stanley Cup in 2015, 11 years after winning it in 04 with the Lightning. It's a very similar situation of just guys having nice careers and a long decade-plus gap between their Stanley Cup championships. But, hey, it doesn't matter if you're 23. It doesn't matter if you're 33. It doesn't matter if you're 43. You get to lift 36 uh, pounds of uh, featherweight metal above your head, they call it, you know, because it feels like a feather the night you oh, win yeah. It's great stuff. And then I also want to give a shout-out. I mentioned him already a little bit, Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson was the number one overall pick in the 2006 NHL draft. And he was just a good defenseman. He was never like a superstar. The problem for him is Taves went third overall. And Taves is going to be a Hall of Famer because of his ability in his prime to be one of the greatest two-way captains who ever lived. And people are like, oh, well, if the Blues drafted Taves instead of Johnson, they would have won three cups and the Hawks would only have the one. Like, yes, that is true. But that doesn't mean Johnson was a bad player. And I'm so happy that he was finally able to get his due all these years later. And his name's going to be engraved on the cup. So shout out to those guys. I'm very happy Absolutely. for the Colorado Avalanche. Absolutely. Now, I want to put some respect on the Tampa Bay Lightning. This team was in the Stanley Cup final for the third year in a row and the fourth time in six years, seven years. And... They're two and two in cups in the Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman era. Vasilevsky wasn't the goalie the first time around. As Kyle pointed out on last week's show, that's probably the biggest difference between those teams now and the team back then. But listen to this injury report. Did you did you catch this? Oh, yeah. I had a whole list of the injuries written down somewhere. Yeah, I got them right here. I'll list them off for you, and then I'll have you react to them. Pierre Edward Belmar, meniscus injury starting the playoffs. And this is from Tampa Bay GM Julian Breezebois. Mm -hmm. Anthony Sorelli had a shoulder and AC joint sprain versus the New York Rangers and dislocated his other shoulder versus the Colorado Avalanche. Nikita Kucherov sprained his MCL in the series against the Colorado Avalanche. Nicholas Paul had a shoulder AC joint sprain against the New York Ranger and an MCL sprain against the Colorado Avalanche. 
Corey Perry had a shoulder AC joint sprain versus the New York Rangers. Braden Point had a significant quad tear against the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan McDonough had a mangled finger yeah. from blocking a shot against the New York Rangers. After the series was over, I mentioned this to Bucci. We touched on it a little bit. John Cooper told Kevin Weeks that he will remember this Tampa Bay Lightning team more than any of the teams that actually won the Stanley Cup. And it is because this injury list is just unbelievable. And they still, with all of that, came within two wins of lifting the trophy for the third year in a row. The Tampa Bay Lightning, as great as Colorado was, they were great. They deserved to win the Stanley Cup. Colorado, or Tampa Bay, excuse me, deserves everyone's respect. Yeah, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, there are teams in the NHL who would love to be in the predicament that they're in and even just get to the Stanley Cup final, even if they lose. Yeah, but there are teams that never even been to the Stanley Cup final. At least the Devils have been to the Stanley Cup final and have won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, there are teams that would just kill to even get there. So there's nothing to be ashamed of. They've been there three years in a row. They've won two cups out of those three years. And you actually, there was somebody on the injury report that you didn't talk about. Brandon Hagel fractured his foot in the Florida series as well. So on top of that, and like you said, John Cooper said he's proud of this team. He'll always remember this team. And it's because of how well they were able to overcome adversity with all these injuries. And like you said, two wins of lifting the cup. That's how great this Tampa Bay Lightning team. That's how well this team meshes when other guys need to fill in and step up to the plate when other guys are injured. And not only that, but the uh, the Colorado Avalanche, like I said, they were on a different level to begin with. And I think that if the Tampa Bay Lightning were playing on any other team in the Stanley Cup final, they probably would have three-peated. But this Colorado Avalanche team was just unreal. Tampa Bay, nothing to be ashamed for. They will be back. I don't know if they'll make it for a fourth year in a row, but this team – we don't know how it's going to look. You know, Bucci talked about maybe Kucherov leaving. If they come back, though, with this core, it's hard to not see them. I don't care where they finish in the standing. It's going to be hard not to see them make another run for the Stanley Cup. You just don't want to fight them. You know, that's the thing. Like, the Leafs were good enough. I still stand. It's been four series. It's been two months since we had that grit, that impressive show where we screamed at each other about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I still say, and Pucci agreed with me. They ran into the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are just hard to beat in a playoff series. And they, besides the Avalanche, they gave them the hardest time. And they were pretty injured against the Colorado Avalanche and not as much against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, you know, shout out to them. And before we get off the lightning, I want to ask you, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, future Hall of Famers, what's your take on these two guys? Do you have even more respect for them after this year? Well, or yeah. It's not possible because you had so much for them already because that's the boat I'm in. I know how good Steven Stamkos is, right? Um, I mean, he scored 51 goals in 2009-2010 season. He scored 60 in the 2011-2012 season. I mean, I know how good this guy is. He's had his injuries, which is kind of, you know, kind of took him off the radar for a little bit. But I know that this Lightning team just wouldn't be the same without Steven Stamkos. They wouldn't have had that same success that they've had without him on their team. And not only that, but he's a great captain. Not saying that they wouldn't have won a cup without him, but they might not have. I mean, this team might have looked a whole lot different without Steven Stamkos. Um, 
And like I said, those two years where he scored 51 goals and 60 goals, he won the Rocket Richard twice. I think not, a, a lot of more people need to understand how dynamic he is to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And not only that, you look at Nikita Kucherov too, Conn Smythe winner. I think he would have been the Conn Smythe winner if the Lightning were to win the Cup this year. That's my personal belief. There's no way he was not winning it if um, if the Lightning ended up winning the Cup. He had to be. He had 27 points. That's two less than Kale McCarr did. Um, but Kale McCarr's a defenseman. But the past two seasons for Kucherov, he's been on a decline. But that's due to the injuries that he's faced as well. I mean, these Tampa Bay Lightning team has just gone through so many injuries, key injuries, over the past handful of years. And, you know, when he's healthy, Nikita Kucherov's deadly on the ice. Two 100-plus point seasons. He had a season where he scored 128 points. That was his career best. So I mean, I, I the, yeah, I have so much respect for these guys. It's it's just they're electric. No pun intended. Kucherov will get back there. He Stamkos went through two years of injury, and people were talking about. But like, Tampa's getting everything and more out of their current core with Kucherov, Stamkos, Hedman, and Vasilevsky. I agree. Kucherov would have won the Conn Smythe Trophy had Tampa Bay won. Vasilevsky might have been in the mix though, but. He did win it last year, and sometimes I think that that, like, it shouldn't, but, you know, you never know if that matters at all when they're trying to – if there's a tiebreaker, let's give it to the guy who doesn't have it on his resume already. But before we end period number two, there is one other alien I wanted to talk about. There were 18 days between the end of the Edmonton Oilers-Colorado Avalanche series in the Western Conference Final – and the final day of the Stanley Cup final, meaning there were 18 days for a player on the Colorado Avalanche or Tampa Bay Lightning to pass Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in playoff scoring, and nobody did. Connor McDavid ends the playoffs as the NHL's leading playoff scorer with 33 points, and Leon Dreisaitl was right behind him with 32 Kale McCarr was in third with 29, Kudrov at 27, Ranton in 25, McKinn in 25. Then you got a couple New York Rangers players tied for sixth and eighth with Zabanajad and Fox. But what do you take away from McDavid? I really hope they get him like a solid goalie and maybe another defenseman this year. Like McDavid needs to win the Stanley Cup. Please, hockey gods. I mean, yeah, is it is it fun to watch from a hockey perspective? Yeah, I mean, having 33 points in only 16 games, you're averaging more than two points a game, which is just insane. And the fact that he ended the playoffs in um, leading throughout any player in the playoffs just through the first two rounds is just crazy. I mean, it, it, it really is, but that's great and all for him, but it just proves that McDavid can't win a championship by himself. You could be the best player in the world, but you still need a team around you. You look at Wayne Gretzky, how he was the best player in his generation, best player, one of the best players of all time, if not the best player of all time. People debate about it. But he never he didn't win it every year. He wasn't able to win the Stanley Cup every single year. So it's great that McDavid could do all that, but I think it'll be even greater when he has a team around him that could win consistently and, you know, vie for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm doing a little poking around right here. Okay, I got it. The last time somebody on a non-championship team led the playoffs in scoring 
was the 2015-16 season when Logan Couture led the playoffs with 30 points. Brent Burns was second, 24th. Joe Pavelski in third with 23. You'd have to go all the way to fourth place when Phil Kessel led the Pittsburgh Penguins wow. in scoring as the Stanley Cup champion. I'm not even going to do research to try and find the last time a guy who didn't even make the final because Couture was in the final against the Penguins. He's just the last time the champion didn't win. Um, I will put a little asterisk in 2019. O'Reilly and Marshan were tied for playoff scoring, and they, they were the two teams in the Stanley Cup final. But as far as I can see here, I'm, I'm back. I'm getting close to being back 10 years now. And a player, oh, Patrick Kane and Tyler Johnson tied for playoff scoring in 2015. But at least, you know, Kaner was right there. Um, right. It's just crazy. 2014, Kopitar led in scoring. Carter, Williams, Gabrick, Kane, who, oh, Kane's the closest to not being a Stanley Cup finalist in scoring, uh, being near the top in scoring. But, you know, that's just absolutely crazy to me. Um, oh, David Krejci led the playoffs in scoring in 2013. And they lost the Stanley Cup final to the Bruins. The closest, or the, they lost to the Blackhawks. The closest that wasn't on a final team was Malkin. He was sixth in scoring. But, you know, I, I digress. It's just crazy to me to think that a guy who didn't make it to the final led the playoffs in scoring, and a guy who came in second also didn't make the final. That, well, that he didn't even make happen. it to the conference final. Who? McDavid. Yeah, they did. Oh, they did? Yeah, they lost to Colorado. Oh, they lost to, yeah, no, never mind. But I, I get what you're saying. Like, it seems. For some reason, I thought they round. lost in the second round. Yeah. And I'm looking back at even 2012. Dustin Brown, Andre Kopitar, Kovalchuk, Dowdy, Parisi, all these guys. Uh, oh, Claude Giroux, kind of close to leading the playoffs and scoring without making it to the – they didn't even make it to the third round. Ew. So, Claude Giroux – so, I was going to ask you. So, they didn't make it to the third round, right? And he led the scoring? Yeah. I was wow. going to ask you if you think that'll ever happen. So obviously it happened. Oh, no, he didn't it- even scoring. He came in fourth, which is oh. still wild. Do you think anybody will lead in scoring and not make it to the conference final? No. I you literally don't think, think that'll ever happen. I, I think it's impossible. I literally think it's impossible. Yeah. 2011, Krejci, Henrik Sedin. Oh, St. Louis came three points away from. Leading the playoffs in 2011, he was third in scoring. They were the conference final runner-up. But, yeah, who led the playoffs in scoring in 2010? Daniel Briere, who was on the Flyers, who lost to the Hawks. It's just – it's crazy, man, what McDavid did. So that's a little context for you. Um, what a Stanley Cup final. It is entertaining for sure. Absolutely, and I already can't wait for next year. We're going to get to a little bit more hockey discussion outside of the Stanley Cup final in period number three. Welcome to period three, where we are talking about more hockey, not necessarily zoned in on the Stanley Cup final, but I do want to talk about something that did happen yesterday. Frank, I wasn't expecting you to bring it up to Bucci, but I'm actually rather proud of the way, well, I'm proud of the way you handled the Bucci interview in general. You did a great job. Um, but bringing up the Hall of Fame, that was good stuff there. That was a very interesting question, and I liked his response. For those who don't know, the Hockey Hall of Fame class of 2022 was announced a couple days ago. I believe it was two days ago now. Of course, you have the Sedin twins, Henrik Sedin and Daniel Sedin. 
their teammate for a long time in Vancouver, Roberto Luongo, better known as Bobby Lou, Daniel Alfredson. Those are the NHL guys who made it in. And then Rika Salinen, a Finnish uh, female hockey player, made it in. And then, of course, Herb Carnage as a builder. What's mm-hmm. your takeaway? You know, now it's getting serious with the players that are inducted because these are all guys, like I told Bucci, who we grew up watching. And now it's like a majority of the guys being inducted are guys we followed. And the guys that we love to hate, especially me with the Sedin brothers and Roberto Luongo and all the playoff uh, rivalries they had with Vancouver back in the day. You know, it, it's just it's crazy to think now that we're getting up there to the point where these guys that we watch are being inducted in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, I, I kind of figured the Sedin brothers and Luongo and Alfredson, the careers that they had, they would be in eventually. I didn't know necessarily I would wake up to the news or just look at the news and say, oh, they're finally in it. It just really didn't cross my mind this year. I really wasn't expecting something like this to happen. Um, But, yeah, it's kind of crazy because then it's like, well, what does next year have in store for us? If these guys that we know very well are being inducted this year, next year it's going to be somebody even better that we know most likely. So it's kind of crazy. Um, I'm happy to see those guys get in, uh, even though there were points in my life where I wasn't a big fan of them just because of all the rivalries they had. They eliminated the Hawks in 2011, heartbreaker. Um, but, yeah, good for them, I guess. I loved Alfredson. He was one of my favorite players, and he got to play with Detroit for the, for a minute there at the end. But uh, Bobby Lou, when he made it over to the Panthers, that was fun to watch. I liked all four guys for the most part. There were times I was pissed at Luongo and the Sedin uh, twins when they were playing against the Hawks who I obviously root for when they're not playing the Devils, but um, all, they're all worthy of it. I, I'm just a little mad because, of course, you probably know what I'm going to bring up here. Patrick Eliash didn't make it, and Patrick Eliash never won a scoring title or a uh, Hart Trophy like Henrik Sedin did, and then Daniel got a lot of credit for anything Henrik did. Henrik was the better player, but barely. And... um. Eliash never, but he won two cups and he has tremendous playoff numbers. Like his playoff numbers are way better than the Sedins and he's got a higher points per game than the Sedins. He, you know, and points per game matters. Um, I'm a little surprised Eliash isn't in yet. I do think he ultimately will get in. He was a winger that got Selkie votes. He was very, he was very Marion Hosa, Mark Stone type where he's like a winger that can win the Selkie. I, there are only a few guys that I can think of that are like that. Like Thomas Hurdle's kind of like that, a winger that's very good defensively, like very good defensively. Mark Stone, obviously, remember Hosa. Eliash was of that ilk. And I'm a little surprised he didn't get in this year. You know, over 400 goals, over 1,000 points, over 1,000 games played, two-way extraordinaire, two Stanley Cups, game-winning pass to win the Stanley Cup. There was a lot of argument on the 2000 Conn Smythe Trophy. I believe it ended up going to – I don't know who would have won the Conn Smythe in 2000. Maybe Scott Stevens? Because I know Claude Lemieux won it with the Devils in 2000. And then the last time the loser won the Stanley Cup or won the Conn Smythe Trophy was in 03 when Jean-Jebastian Jagir won it for the Anaheim Ducks against the Devils. Um, but in 2000, it was like one of those where like it could have went to anybody and they didn't give it to Eliash. So he doesn't have that on his resume. And I wonder if he'd be in if they would have given it to him with the playoffs going that year. But hey, 
maybe one day. I'm going to keep campaigning for it. There's an article with full detail on why I think that on pucksandpitchforks.com. I mean, that could be next year. He could be one of those guys. Yeah, I never needed Eliash to be like a first ballot Hall of Famer, but this is next year will be year three. And, you know. Isn't, don't you have to wait at least three years? You have to wait three and after your career is over. He's oh, been yeah. retired for a long yeah. time now. Though. So this Last will be a year, try. Yeah. And I think you stay, you stay on the ballot in ten, for 10 in baseball. I don't know about hockey. Like Barry Bonds didn't make it in this year, and now he's not going to unless a special committee puts him in. But like he's not on just the typical baseball writers association uh, ballot anymore because his name's coming off after year ten. Same thing with Sammy Sosa, I believe. I want to say McGuire was on that ballot, but I don't know for sure. Um, yeah, I want Eliash to make it really bad. I think he deserves it. He was he was the best forward on two cup teams. So, yeah, um, for sure. after after the Stanley Cup was over, something weird happened. Sidney Crosby was trending on literally everything. And I'm thinking, like, why is Crosby trending? And I, I know very well Nathan McKinnon is from Crosby's hometown. Him, Marshan, and Crosby are all from the same little area in Canada, like literally the same small town. And McKinnon told a reporter after the game that McKinnon was the drunkest at Crosby's cup parties, and he expects that favor in return at his parties. Are you excited to see videos of Sid being completely buckled? Because we don't see Sid more than any other athlete. Tom Brady used to be like this, and then he went to the Bucks, and Robert or Bill Belichick wasn't controlling his off the field antics like he, you know, once was. You hear nothing from Sidney Crosby when there's no hockey. Nothing. You hear about Patrick Kane. Taves posts videos of him like running through the wilderness. You see Ovechkin taking you know, dips in the fountain, you know, uh, guys like Austin Matthews making videos with Justin Bieber, PK Subban posts a workout video every five seconds. Like these are some of the best players of the last 15 years. Uh, even a guy like Claude Giroux got in trouble for like smacking someone in the butt Remember, but at least yeah, something interesting about Giroux, you get nothing for Crosby. I think the biggest thing you got from Crosby ever that wasn't, related at all to hockey was still kind of related to hockey. He went on spitting chicklets the same episode. They announced that pink Whitney was going to okay. become a fan. He mm-hmm. was on the same episode. It was like eight, seven was the day the show was releasing. And what a better way. Shout out Katie. Her birthday is eight, seven. Also um, what a better way to celebrate Crosby's birthday than to have Crosby on Spitting Chicklets. Oh, and let's announce Pink Whitney too, because so many people are going to be listening to the Crosby episode. That's the biggest you've heard from Crosby. So are you excited to see videos of Crosby completely buckled? Because I think we are going to get it. I think it's going to be funny if it happens. I think I it think, is going to happen. I didn't see the Kinnan, um at Crosby. Were there videos? Because I didn't see him. You didn't? Oh, no, there were no videos. McKinnon, oh. McKinnon just said it. So you think we're gonna see videos of Crosby? I'm sure hoping for at least something. Give me a give me a picture of him looking like he has no clue what planet he's on. I mean, it's it's possible. I don't know if they would release the video. I don't know, like if I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna. You it's think? nothing like bad. I'm not saying yeah. he's gonna go do like a line of coke to celebrate McKinnon winning <laughs> the Stanley Cup, but like, give me something human about Crosby, please. Or you know, at the at the least, we might like hear words from McKinnon himself. Yeah, yeah. You know? 
And McKinnon be like, oh, he was so sloshed. Yeah. <laughs> you should have seen him. <laughs> yeah, you should have seen Sid with my day with the cup. He got <laughs> buckled. <laughs> you know, like how I would be if you won the Stanley Cup. Like how I'm going to be when I win your bags tournament. Just completely, absolutely wasted. Like I need to see that from Steve Crosby. Oh, I have a partner. Is he? Is it the one I think? Yes. The one that just responded going? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We'll 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 make some bags tournament announcements to the public on a later show. I mean next week's the the only one, right? I know. I know. I can't wait. That's the last show before the Oh, we're gonna have a whole period dedicated to the bags tournament. Um so I'm very excited. I love Sid. If you if you've never gotten a chance to go on YouTube and watch this, it's a video of Nathan McKinnon. And Sidney Crosby legitimately working the window at a Tim Hortons. And Hi. guys guys would roll up to the guys and girls would roll up to the thing. Welcome to Tim Hortons. How can I help you? Yeah, can I please get a large coffee with cream and sugar? And then they'll roll up to the window. And who opens the window but Nathan McKinnon or Sidney Crosby? And they're rotating, and it is just and everybody in Canada, especially this little section of Canada knows who Nathan McKinnon and Sidney Crosby are because at this point they're hockey royalty. Exactly. If you're watching on YouTube, you got the video right here. If you're listening to the audio version, you need to go check it out right now. And it's just so funny because neither of them know how to like do like workman type things. Like I worked in a drive-thru for eight years at Panera Bread and like I know what I'm doing with that. These two guys are just like they have no clue what they're doing. And it's just funny seeing these millionaires just absolutely – botch running a Timmy's drive through It's it's great stuff. So make sure you check that. And then you throw Marshan in the mix and you're like, all these guys are from the same little area. So highly recommend. Marshan in the video? No, no Marshan in the video. I just know that they're from the same hometown because the three of them work out together in the summer as they lead up to uh, what's it called? As they lead up to the NHL season. Gotcha. So Frank, the 2021-22 season is over. It was a year for me that was loaded with a lot of memories. A lot of things in my life changed in terms of work and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's just been a great year. I love everything that this show has become. It's transformed, obviously, a little bit as well. Uh, I feel like I've grown as a hockey fan during this season. And, you know, first of all, thank you for helping bar down and being a part of the whole the whole kit and caboodle here part of our shtick um do you have like a top three favorite moments from this season yeah i do uh, i'll go from three to one my i'll go from my least favorite to my favorite but even three is like it's still special you know um so i'll start off drive with the kraken making their nhl debut in the national hockey league i was so excited for them to come into the league um, I loved when the logo was released, their color scheme. I just, I'm, I'm a fan of the franchise. It's going to be a while before they're a winning franchise, but that's okay. I'm glad they're a part of the NHL now. And I, I, you'll, this isn't going to be the last thing you see me rock Seattle Kraken. So they were definitely a big moment from this 2021, 20, 22 season. Um, so that's what I got as my third, my second one, this one was tough for me because it's not really a favorite moment because I'm, I'm very sad about it, but I'm also happy for him and his retirement. 
and that's Pat Foley being honored all season by the Blackhawks. You know, Chicago Blackhawks games are just not going to be the same when you don't hear Pat Foley call his most famous calls for the Blackhawks. He is what made the Blackhawks for me, or one of the reasons. I, I mean, I just love that man doing play-by-play. He is so special to the organization, and I'm glad that we've got to see him honored all season long. You know, sometimes before games, they would have a video package of some of his greatest calls leading up to his final game. Um, And then that last moment when he went out and he took a sip of beer from Eddie and Eddie's like, "I'm Pat, I'm going to let you sign off by yourself. And and Eddie Olchek left the booth and it was just Pat Foley addressing the fans. That was a very special moment for me. And I'll always love Pat Foley. He'll always be probably my favorite broadcaster of all time. Um, So I'm really happy on him for his retirement. That's definitely number two. My favorite moment of the season, though, probably has to be Jonathan Taves making his return to the NHL. He is my favorite NHL player of all time. Just like Pat Foley holds a special place in, um, in my heart, Jonathan Taves does as well. Coming back from that autoimmune disease that he had that limited him, he wasn't. He didn't play all of last year, meaning two years ago, not this previous season, for those of you who don't know. Um, and getting to see somebody that you look up to and that you saw would have so much success for this Blackhawks organization, and you get to see him go through something that's not fun for anybody, it's just it's very sad. And just seeing him make his debut back to the Blackhawks and back playing hockey, the thing that he loves to do most – it, it was really emotional for me. And I, you know, I, I couldn't be happier for him to be back. I know he wanted to get back. Um, that has to really cap off the year for me. Really. I love it. Three really good moments. I definitely had a feeling that two of those three were going to be there for you. I'm, you know, happy you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a great season. And for me, I'll do the same thing. I'll start with my third favorite moment. My third favorite moment was just the battle of Alberta. Okay, I, for a long time, have been into Calgary Flames versus Edmonton Oilers hockey. Um, It's my favorite rivalry in the NHL right now. It used to be Washington versus Pittsburgh. Right now, it's Calgary versus Edmonton. And you get a little bit of everything when those two teams match up. I don't know what hockey's going to decide to do. Bucci thinks he's coming neither Philly or Jersey. Hopefully it's Jersey. Um, But, you know, for the last couple years, it's just been the most electric you can get in the NHL in terms of just pure hate, meanness, skill, physicality, great coaching, uh, awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Edmonton really surprised me by beating Calgary. Calgary, to me, was a better team on paper, and Edmonton still found a way to pull it out. And so, yeah, I love the Battle of Alberta. It was the first time in a very long time that it happened in the playoffs. And regardless of what happens with either team going forward, I'm happy that the Battle of Alberta is back. I'm happy that it's on the radar of younger people. It's not just old people from the 80s and early 90s remembering the old days of it being a rivalry. It is a full-blown rivalry in the NHL again, and I'm excited to see the upcoming variations of it as the years go on. My second favorite moment was when Zach Parisi scored his 400th career NHL goal. It was really important for me to see him reach this milestone. I'm not quite sure he's going to get to 1,000 points. He's about 170 away. He would need a couple more really good seasons. I'm just not sure. I think he's going to come up just short of being in the 1,000 club. But he's got over 1,000 games played. He's going to come up just short of the Hall of Fame. He doesn't have the Stanley Cup. 
um, unless the Islanders come back and win it next year, which I guess is possible. I think they're going to probably be one of the bounce back teams next year because there are a lot of teams in the East I see taking a complete free fall. But there are some coming up, like the Ottawa Senators and the New Jersey Devils and Detroit Red Wings. So, um, yeah, I, I love seeing Zach Parisi do big things. He's had an outstanding career, over 400 goals, like I said, over 1,000 points or 1,000 games, like I said, in the mid-800s for points. Just great stuff for number 11 throughout his time playing for the New Jersey Devils, Minnesota Wild, and New York Islanders. And then, of course, my number one favorite moment of the season has to be opening night between the New Jersey Devils and the Chicago Blackhawks. It was just a great game. The Devils kind of dominated the whole thing, and then the Hawks found a way to beat Bernier twice in the last two minutes of the game and get it tied and get to overtime. But that set up what I believed was like the big moment where Jack Hughes announced to the world, when I'm healthy, I'm here. I'm one of the best players in the league. He scored a sick overtime game-winning goal by just dangling Kevin Lincoln in out of his jock. And he threw his stick into the crowd. And that, that to me, was the moment where Hughes uh, – I'm here now. Okay, I'm one of the best players in the league. I'm going to have 100 points the first year. I'm, you know, And he was on pace for about 100 points with the injuries this year. I'm not sure what he's got to do to kind of be a little bit of a healthier centerman. Obviously, some man muscle, some more experience in the league on how to avoid just getting dominated physically – but the skill is all there. He's got everything in the toolbox to be a uh, high-end offensive-type talent. And that, to me, was the first moment where I watched, and I was like, very few people in the world can make a play like that. So, you know, it was just awesome to see. And Jack Hughes is going to be a very good player for a long time, and I'm very excited to see it. Was this the game we were at Rivers for? It sure was. The uh, Okay. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it's this. For the Devils? Yeah, it was opening night for the Devils. It was the second game for the Hawks. Graves found a way to find Hughes, and he just made a magnificent play there and throws the stick into the crowd. Um, The guy who caught the stick is kind of an a-hole. He said some pretty nasty things to me on Twitter just because he, like, disagrees with a couple of my takes. So fuck that guy. But um, he got lucky. He caught the Hughes stick, and – you know, you see the celebration, chuck the stick into the crowd. It's great stuff. Yeah. It was yeah, the Hawks' second game. That's why Flurry wasn't playing. There's a, yeah, I mean, those are some good moments. Uh, now we close the chapter on this, or I should say close the book on the season. That was the final chapter. The Colorado Avalanche winning the cup. A lot of great memories from this year, but I'm ready to kick it over to the 2022-2023 season because I need to see my Blackhawks play again. I agree. I didn't write this down, so I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but are there like two or three things that you're excited to see next year? And I could go first while you think about it, because I have a couple things in mind. I have a, I mean, I could come up with stuff, maybe. I mean, we could see how it goes. Yeah, go ahead. I'm really excited to see how Luke Richardson takes and handles this team with the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, I also, I'm excited to see who makes it to next season. Are they going to trade to Brinkett? Are we going to get rid of Kane or Tate? Like, where where is this organization heading? I just I'm really interested to see how Kyle Davidson handles this franchise because there's a lot of 
Hawk, Hawks fans that are on edge right now. They don't know where, where we're going with this. Um, I always said leading up to who the Blackhawks would hire as their next head coach, I said, I want a veteran coach. And while this isn't what I meant, Blackhawks, by a veteran coach, I mean, he does have experience in the NHL. Um, he's played in the NHL. He's was the assistant coach for Montreal. He does have head coaching experience, just not at an NHL level. So, I mean, he, he does have experience, but that's not exactly what I meant. But I'm excited to see, you know, how they how they're going to be, how they're going to turn out with all. There's a lot of new things coming in for this Blackhawks team. Like I said, the new coach, we don't know who's going to make it to next season. I'm just interested to see how it all pans out. Absolutely. I'm actually very excited about this hire. I think he's perfect for what the Blackhawks are trying to do. You go out and get a Barry Trotz or something like that when you have the team ready to win the Stanley Cup. What Luke Richardson and Luke Richardson could develop into that kind of coach. I do believe that, but you know, obviously you don't have that resume. You're not going to necessarily be considered one of those guys. But what one thing I like about him, he played 1400 games in the NHL but had less than 300 points. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that the reason he remained a defensive defenseman in the NHL for 1,400 games is because of his brain. And guys like that go on to be better coaches than superstars. Wayne Gretzky was a brutal coach. Why? Because nobody thinks the game like Gretzky, okay? He, his skill is so much more powerful than his brain that he kind of makes a bad coach. He doesn't know how to coach a guy like an Andrew Shaw. Who needs to like grind in order to score goals and be an effective player? Gretzky could probably coach a Patrick Kane or a Sidney Crosby because if he tells them something, they might be able to just go out there and do it. But got you know, in order to coach a whole team, you need to have the brains and to play fourteen hundred games and have less than three hundred points. You know that he thinks the game well enough to play solid defensive defense and contribute when he can and that that's what I like about him for a very young team that is going to begin a rebuild here and I don't know who's going to be on the team next year I assume it's going to be very hard to trade Seth Jones so like if someone offers him like something and they'll take his whole contract I assume uh, Davidson would get rid of it right away but you take nine million right off the books but really the big thing is going to be what do they do with Taves and Kane and Debrick so that's one of the things I'm most excited about. I'm obviously excited about what are the Devils going to do with the second overall pick? Are they going to trade it to land somebody like – I don't know who's going to be out there. Maybe it's Nikita Kucherov. I mean, I'm obviously spitballing. That's not going to happen. But, like, make a big trade like that. Do they drop Slavkowski? Do they draft Slavkowski? Does Montreal take Slavkowski and the Devils land right, which is something that people are talking about now? You know, they're saying maybe Wright isn't necessarily the player that we thought he was a year ago, but he's still very good. And, you know, maybe Montreal passes on him. It's certainly possible now. And, you know, and Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, Jesper Bratt, excited to see what kind of steps they take next year. And then the third thing for me, I know we talked about it with Bucci at the top of the show. Bruce Cassidy's going to take over in Vegas. How is Jack Eichel going to bounce back this Vegas team next year? I actually think they're going to be sick. They remind me of the Lightning team that missed the playoffs by a point. Um, I want to say it was 2017-18 or 2016-17 where that happened. And then in the year where they lost to Columbus was the bounce back year. I'm thinking we're getting that bounce back year 
from Vegas next year. If they win the cup next year or like win the president's trophy and then maybe have like a disappointing third round loss, Vegas is coming and Jack Eichel is going to lead the way. They need health and they need Cassidy's knowledge. Like I honestly think Vegas is going to be one of the best teams in the NHL and I literally can't wait for it. Yeah, that's that, I actually forgot about that because that would have been one of the things I'm looking forward to. You know how much I like the Knights. I think Cassidy is a good fit there. Um, so I'm excited, especially because the Knights missed the playoffs for the first time in franchise. There you go. For the first time in their franchise history. Um, I want to see, because I know they have the talent. I just want to see how they bounce back with Cassidy. And Stone was hardly healthy this year. Patch already got hurt. They have Petrangelo. They have Theodore. Leonard kind of tapped out at the end with injury, and he was pissed that the team wouldn't let him, you know, not finish out the year. But or finish out the year they want Vegas wanted him to, and he was too hurt, and they need to figure out their goalie situation. I hope it's Leonard because I like Leonard, but you know it'll be interesting to see what comes from that. But yeah, Vegas they're gonna be sick if everyone stays mostly healthy. I still love Wild Bill, I love Marshall, Riley Smith, and then Stone and Eichel are the big boys, obviously. And Eichel's going to bring his 100-point self back next season. I fully anticipate that. Guys thrive. Veterans like that thrive under Cassidy. We saw what happened to Bergeron and Marshan and Pasternak, like all under that system. And, oh, Bruce Cassidy doesn't handle young players. Well, well, Vegas isn't really trying to deal with young players right now. They traded away Nick Suzuki. Okay? They, they traded away the rights to – Brandstrom, I think it was, or they, you know, something like that. They lots of different young players they send away. They got rid of Alex Tuck, okay? Uh, Krebs, they got rid of. Like, young guys, Vegas doesn't care about young guys right now. They're trying to win the cup. And Cassidy, I think, is going to come in and help them do that. We got team 31 and 32. Same thing. Yeah. Team 31 and 32. I'm drawing a blank. Did the Bruins uh, pick up a head coach yet or no? No, heavy, heavy rumors. Um, I have no inside source, but I think they're going to hire David Quinn. That's my guess. So the Bruins are going to suck, though. Don't tell Joey. He's on vacation. Don't tell Joey. (laughs) I'm not saying it. You know, like I said to you about the Mariners, like I want the Mariners to do good. But going into the year, I was like, yeah, I don't know if they're going to repeat that. And so far they haven't. Maybe they'll have a big second half. I'm hoping so. Yeah, they're like middle of the pack right now. Yeah, and like they're Robbie like Ray. Yeah, like Robbie Ray. Like they're kind of like the White Sox. They're like just one of those disappointing teams, but there are teams way worse than that. Oh yeah. Like there are teams that wish they were in the White Sox and Mariners position right now, like the Detroit or the Cubs, um, Cincinnati. Like there are lots of teams that wish they were the Mariners right now. There are lots of teams that you know wish they were the Bruins, but I think they're gonna suck. You, you're not gonna miss. McAvoy, Grizzlick, Carlo, and Marshan for the first three months of the season and expect to just be world beaters. Now, if they get healthy in like February and go on like a 20 and five run and make it in as a wild card and have a good playoffs, I'm not going to be too surprised. I just hope they're not too far out of it by the time they get truly healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fear for the Bruins, which they sucks. Won't think, but... That sucks, though. They're the most prominent American team. Yeah. Them and the Hawks in Detroit, I guess. New York. I guess there's a lot. Philly, Pittsburgh, hopefully New Jersey soon. We'll see. But, you know, I liked this season. I liked covering this season with you. We got a lot of big things coming up on the show. You just saw John Bucci today, one of the biggest <laughs> hockey personalities in the world. You guys think I'm stopping there? 
No. Get Taves on the show. I need to talk to him. Taves isn't the easiest person to get in touch with. I honestly could see myself having a better chance at finding out Patrick Kane's information than Taves. I want to talk to Taves. Taves probably shops at Whole Foods. Patrick Kane's out at the bar. That's fine. I, I need to talk to Taves. I need to have a conversation with him. Well, I truly believe that impossible is nothing, and don't tell me I can't get Taves. Not saying I will, but we have high hopes for this show. Bar Down Talking Hockey is nowhere near done. And there are shows, hockey shows, that go away for the summer. Not me. Not us. We are sticking through it all summer. There will be weeks where we talk about less hockey than others in the summer. You know, in early August when there's – you know, literally no hockey news. Maybe we'll talk a little, you know, the intricacies of Kansas City Chiefs workouts at, uh, you know, early parts of spring training or like, you know, maybe the route running of certain Oakland Raiders players is like kind of in the news. Like, hey, is Devontae Adams going to make this Oakland Raiders team be the best team in the best division or are they going to be the worst team in the best division that still probably makes the playoffs? Cause I think all four teams from that division are going to make the playoffs this year. Like, you know, we're going to talk about stuff like that all summer, but we got a lot of hockey to go with the draft and free agency before we start getting into like the dry days of summer. So I hope everybody enjoyed this season with Frank, Joey and I got a lot more to go though. I promise you. And then oh, yeah. next season will be here around the corner. And I know Frankie will never and myself and Joey and Aldo and a lot of people at the Barroom Network are never going to stop being degenerate a-hole gamblers. And that is where we get to America's favorite segment of the week, Breaking Bets. Welcome to Breaking Bets. Frank, the floor is yours. Nice hat. Thank you. I only got two picks today because we have no NBA, no NHL. We're one sport athletes now, boys. Tennis is on, but that starts early in the morning because they're in the Wimbledon Grand Slam. I mean, I I don't know what to tell you guys. We only got baseball. There's no football. The USFL is going on, but the championship's July 3rd, so that's not even playing right now. Um, so we're stuck with the MLB. Uh, so I only got two plays. First play I really, really, really like. The Marlins are playing the St. Louis Cardinals. And the Cardinals today are going for the sweep. And I always – you never bet the sweep. You never, ever bet that a team is going to sweep another team. You just don't. And if it happens, you swallow your losses and you move on. But you just don't bet that a team is going to get – or sweep another team. It just – not really that likely. Um, and the Miami Marlins are minus 120 today with Alcantara on the mound, their best pitcher, and they're only minus 120 on the verge of being swept. That just smells like sweetness right there. I, I have nothing else to say for that. It's just that you leave it at that. They're, they're not going to get swept. They got their best pitcher on the mound. Uh, an extremely good price, very hard to pass up, which leads me to pick number two. little weird, Cubs and Reds play. The over-under set at 7.5. I looked at the over-under, and I could immediately tell that the reason the over-under was set at 7.5 was probably because the wind is blowing in. Um, 
so I checked. There's an app, the Windy City app, that tells you um, if the wind's blowing in at Wrigley. It's actually only dedicated for that specific reason for the Cubs. It's an app. Is the wind blowing out at Wrigley? And it'll tell you by the hour how faster the wind is blowing in or out. Um, the, the two, I forgot who's pitching. I think Steele's pitching for the Cubs, and I forgot who's pitching for the Reds. And the, both pitchers are having an okay year. I mean, nothing too great. Nothing where a regular seven and a half would, I think it would go under seven and a half. The wind is blowing in, I think, about seven, eight miles per hour. It might be six and a half, if I remember correctly, which isn't too much. If the wind's blowing in about 10, 11, 12 miles per hour, okay, now we're talking that a good seven and a half is reasonable. But the fact that it's seven and a half and it's only blowing in six or seven miles per hour and you got two average pitchers, I would take the over personally. It's minus 120, another good price. I just don't – seven and a half is hard to go under when you have elite pitchers on the mound. I've seen DeGrom and Scherzer go over seven and a half. You, just, you don't know um, how these pitchers are going to come out. And now you got two terrible ball clubs who are just having terrible seasons. And you have the over-under set at seven and a half. Like, I understand the wind's blowing in, but I've seen the wind blow in a lot more. I just don't think it's going to stay under seven and a half. So take the over seven and a half Cubs red minus 120. Two really good picks, and that's all I got for you guys. That's outstanding stuff there, Frank. Preview of the Field of Dreams game. Aldo saying ride the Chicago sky. They the sky great. actually won today. They're, they're doing good. They're trying to defend their title. And they just might. Um, yeah, the Field of Dreams game between the Chicago Cubs and Cincinnati Reds. We'll be all over that on Crosstown Crosstalk as the summer goes along, even though it's too – dog shit teams playing against each other on Iowa. The White Sox should be in that game every year, no matter what. But, you know, MLB. Um, we got some feedback from Bucci. He said, great show, really enjoyed it. So thank you, John Bucci Gross, for coming on our show. We also have a bit of breaking news here on Bar Down Talking Hockey. I'm actually happy I saw this before we left air. The Minnesota Wild and Los Angeles Kings just made a big trade. Uh-oh. Like. This is one of the big ones, okay? (sighs) According to sources, the Minnesota Wild have traded the rights to pending restricted free agent Kevin Fiala to the Los Angeles Kings for their 2022 first-round pick and University of Minnesota captain Brock Faber. Wow. The Los Angeles Kings have since turned around and given restricted free agent Kevin Fiala a $7.9 million deal. Wow. That's a lot of money for Fiala. That is. That is a lot, lot of money. For Fiala. I think they overpaid, personally. LA. Yeah, I think they, I said I think they overpaid. I agree. Fiala's a great player. Seven he could points. score 30 and have 70 points. He could score wow. 30 and have 70 points. But to give up Brock Faber and a first? Wow. The wild man, and, and you're getting a, a almost eight million dollar cap hit. Yeah, exactly. Let me be very, very clear about something. The wild are fucked the next two years because they have to pay Parisi and Suitors buyout penalties this season and next. If That's they didn't right. have to do that, they probably would have never traded Fiala. They probably would have signed him with that money instead. But they're not going to be trash meat. Mm-hmm. They're just not going to be as good as Colorado, Vegas, yeah, right. Edmonton, 
But after those two years, they could be as good as those teams because they're still going to have Kaprizov. I love Matthew Boldy. I think he's a great young player. Marco Rossi is one of the five best prospects in the world. He's going to play for the Minnesota Wild. They got to keep their first-round pick from this year because they didn't reach the conference finals and have to ship it over to the Chicago Blackhawks. So now they have two first-round picks. How often does a team that has 100-plus standings points get two first-round picks? That's very rare. It is and Minnesota's been great at drafting over the last couple years. Joel Erickson Eck is incredible. Um, I really like the Wilds roster. They have good defense. And even though I think it's going to be hard for them to win next year and the year after that, and when, when I say win, I mean win the Stanley Cup or make it to the conference finals, they're definitely still going to be a playoff team for each of those two seasons just because I think having 100 points in Kaprizov alone can like help keep you in the conversation at minimum. So you add a good goalie like Talbot, maybe Flurry stays, we'll see what happens. But the Minnesota Wild, man, they've been running their team well over the last couple of years. And I will say this. Kevin Fiala doesn't make the Kings a worse team. They had 99 standings points in what was supposed to be like that transition year, like that year where they go from being bad to mediocre. Well, they didn't go from bad to mediocre. They went from bad to good. And you add Fiala to a line with maybe like a Quinton Byfield, and they still have Kopitar. Dowdy will probably be a little healthier next year, but no one's sure how good he's going to be. I'm not sure where Quick is going to be at as a goalie, but they have other guys – in the mix to play goal for them. Obviously, Adrian Kempe is awesome. Victor Arvidsson's a really good player. The prospect pool is outstanding with Alex Turcott. And I mentioned Byfield. There are good times coming for the Los Angeles Kings. There's no doubt about it. But Kevin Fiala better live up to that $7.9 million. I don't know. That's a bad contract. I mean, good yeah. for him. But Yeah, great for him. <laughs> great for him. He's got – ah. That's a lot for us for a high volume scoring winger. Like, I'm not talking like Ovechkin high volume scoring either. I'm talking like 30 goals, 60 points. Yeah, which that's is right. a really good season. But that that to me is like a Kevin Fiala to me is worth five and a half, six and a half. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting over seven, it's like whoa, man. Like Jesper Brad will probably make seven or six and a half. Nylander, six and a half. Pasternak's better than all of them, and he makes six and a half. Uh, Marner makes nine. That's a lot, but Marner, multiple 90-point seasons, was over 100 this year. Like, Marner's in that way upper echelon. Kane, same thing, 90s, 100s, like just a little bit more. 10 million's a lot for a scoring winger, but they also paid him because he won three Stanley Cups. Mm-hmm. And no player in the history of the NHL Ever won the Stanley Cup making double-digit millions? Never. Wow. Never. In the salary cap era. Yeah. So Price, I'm trying to think of the guys who make over 10. Price, McJesus, Kane, Taves. Um, yeah, none of those guys ever won the Stanley Cup making more than 10 mil. But Taves and Kane have won yeah, three times, not while making 10 mil. <laughs> so, you know, you got to be careful how you handle the cap. And 7.9 is a far stretch from 10 mil, but it's 8 mil. 7.9, I mean, it's 8 mil. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, you know, I wonder if the Kings did that to make the contract look like less than what it is. 
like, hey, Fiala, let's cut 100K off that so it makes it seem like it's more of a bargain. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's... The Kings are going to be good next year. Oh, yeah. And the Pacific is dog meat. It's Edmonton, L.A., Vegas. Calgary could take a step back if Goudreau leaves. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Anaheim. Anaheim's going to be good. But are they going to be that good? How how, how far can Zegers take them? We'll so, do our predictions. Yeah, well, of course. And we're going to be covering the draft and all that. A lot of these teams have high-end draft picks this year, and they're going to draft high-end players. So, you know, very excited about that. That's our show. Frank, is there anything you'd like to say to the people before we head out of here? Eat a lot of chicken parm this week. I had chicken parm for lunch. I love chicken parm. I had to have chicken parm for lunch because I needed cheese, fried chicken, and red sauce flowing through my veins while I interviewed John Buchigas. That, that sounds just, so good. You have no idea. Yeah, it, it had to be done. I wouldn't want to interview John Buchigas with anything else in my tummy, and I, I feel rewarded for it because it was a great interview. I can't thank John enough for coming on this show. For a non-player, he was my white wa- my white whale guest. I mean, you oh, know how long I've been quoting Bucci, and oh I even God. started saying things like shnikes, like holy shnikes, like that. That comes from Bucci. Yeah. So, you know, a college hockey, I started getting into it because of him. You know, I know a lot about BU and Minnesota Duluth and St. Cloud State and Arizona State. Like all this knowledge is a direct result of Michigan, is a direct result of being a fan of Bucci. So make sure you always put it top shelf where mama hides the thin mints. <laughs> Got anything to say for yourself? I'm just – thinking of chicken parm right now. Ooh, Frankie's got the parm on the mind. So make sure you go get some chicken parm. Um, maybe we'll get some together one of these days. Yeah, that's what you should have for dinner. I had I it for lunch. I want to see you have it for dinner. I might. Um, everybody, thank you so much for watching our show. You can check out all the great shows on the Barroom Network. Last night, Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls was absolutely hilarious. Um, Dan Aguirre, man, what an interesting fellow. I like that guy. I want to talk to him about Chicago Bears football for a little bit. Never actually spoken with him because the one time I made an appearance on Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls, it was the night before episode one of this show, and it was to preview this show, and I was kind of replacing him on the show. That was kind of the idea behind it. So I never actually have gotten to speak with him, and I'd love to talk Chicago Bears football with him. They talked about Lovey Smith yesterday and Mr. Santucci, who was me and Joey's he was a baseball coach for Hanover Park Little League for a long time, so we know him from back in the day. Uh, I can't remember. I think his son was in between me and Joey's age, but I, I would have to confirm with him. He would remember a lot better than me because he was an adult and I wasn't. But, um, yeah, great stuff on that show, obviously. Tomorrow, Crosstown Crosstalk is the Shohei Otani episode. Evan Desai of Fansided's Halo Hangout is going to join me to talk about Shohei Otani. He hit a massive 420-foot home run for the Los Angeles Angels yesterday, and now he's on the mound tonight. Who does that? Oh, yeah. Who does that? It's just weird. Like I can't even fathom the idea that he's a superstar pitcher with an under-3 ERA, and he hit his 17th home run of the season last night, and, it was, and not even a single White Sox player has 10. Like It's just un- – he's Michael Kopech and Luis Robert in one player. 
And that, that's what I try to tell people. And it's just absolutely unbelievable. So a lot of the show is going to be dedicated to him tomorrow. It will be coming off the heels of a three-game series between the White Sox and the Angels. We'll preview Red Sox versus Cubs. I believe it's the first time since 2014 that the Boston Red Sox make their way to Wrigley Field. So, you know, going to be an exciting weekend. The White Sox have the Giants, another team that they haven't played in a very long time. So very much looking forward to that. And, of course, Crosstown Crosstalk is the same time as this show tomorrow. What were you going to say? Well, I, I, I also want to say, and also before we go off the air, wish everybody a happy 4th of July. Um, whatever you're doing, everybody stay safe out there. Um, enjoy it. Um, it should be a lot of fun. So whatever you're doing, happy 4th of July to everybody who's watching. Bucci, all the fans out there who are fans of this show family, friends, happy fourth, and just enjoy it. Absolutely. Um, let's make it a good time to be an American, you know, because there are a lot of perks, um, a lot of things we have to fix and get right, and there are things that this country can be great at, and I, I am proud to be American, and I'm excited to celebrate that on Fourth of July, but I'm also going to be doing a little bit of reflecting because I think that's important, and I'm retired from fireworks. No more fireworks for VP. Done. I, I, my goal is to never. Uh, my I love fireworks. I, I love my fingers more. And I've, I've been seeing too many weird. The last couple Fourth of Julys, man, with Kiv Lennox of the Columbus Blue Jackets dying last year and saving Merzlikens' life. Like one of Merzlikens and Kiv Lennox was dying. And it ha- had to be Kiv Lennox. And it's all because of fireworks. And. People blump JPP making tackles like this. Uh, it just seems to be happening a little more often than it needs to in the last couple of years. It's probably because of social media that it seems that way. It's always been happening, but now we hear about it. Um, yeah, I don't need that to be me. So I'll let everybody else blow off the fireworks. I'll watch and then I'll tweet about it. I've been lighting fireworks forever. I know you have. I've been doing it for since I was probably should have should I probably when I started lighting fireworks I probably shouldn't have I was so young but I mean just got to be careful yeah just, I mean if you just take precaution I mean you could even you could do everything you can and you could still you know yeah get accidents it. happen but I mean as long as you're you know just yeah. take precaution if you do it the right way then you should be fine absolutely I'm very much retired. Can't wait to watch everyone else do it. And now, like I said, I'll watch. And I echo Frankie's sentiments. Everybody have a nice, safe, happy 4th of July. Very much looking forward to hearing all the stories. And hope everybody has a great time. Tweet us. Let us know what you're doing for 4th of July. I'm excited to hear about it. We'll have a little thread. I'll have a little thread on 4th of July as I do every year. That guy, um, that yeah, I, I have a thread every year honoring some of my favorite active American-born hockey players because I think USA hockey is as good as it's ever been, and it's only growing from here. So look out for that on July 4th. Uh, we're off on South Burbs Hitman on Monday, but you know we'll be back to recap the White Sox the following week. Southside Showdown to Windy City, Pucks and Pitchforks, loaded with blogs via fansided.com. So make sure you check out all that. Frankie's on App Trigger covering all the great things with video games going on right now. And like I said, make sure you check it out. Thank you again to John Bucci-Gross. Thank you to Frankie Mueller for coming on the show with me. Thank you to Aldo Gandia for giving me, Frankie, Joey, all of us the platform. And as always, thank you for listening. Happy hockey. Happy 4th of July. And let's go whoever your favorite team is. Hello there. <laughs>